Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Once again, to Bard's Logic, Political Talk, part of the conservative conversation, and certainly we are at a time, we are always at a time, but especially now for us as Americans to stand shoulder to shoulder against this uh, coronavirus and bringing our economy back as well. And certainly people are, as the song states, uh, you know, fighting for the lives. And of course, we want to put our uh, thoughts out to those who are in that uh, position, and we want to wish the best for uh, them and their families in combating uh, this uh, disease. So hopefully we'll uh, be able to see things keep going as they are, and that is to looks like we might be on at least, you know, some signs are showing on the way on the down part of the curve. Uh, so we'll see how that works. Talk, again, talking about, again, there's talk about, you know, getting things back underway, reopening up the economy, but we'll see how that goes. But tonight we're going to talk about that, of course. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, current events, 
But we're also going to talk about, of course, I'm sure you recently uh, heard about Trump talking about at least temporarily uh, taking away funds from or withholding funds from the WHO uh, until you know further investigation on how they handled uh, this coronavirus and the dissemination of information about it. And we you know, do we have callers on the line? We'll get you in. We got a guest tonight, uh, Hector uh, Villarreal from the LaRouche Pack. Uh, looking forward to uh, hearing from him tonight. Uh, we also uh, have the other callers. Just push the one on your number dial. When you get in, I uh, see Joseph's already in line, and we'll get you there. So first of all, we'll do is I got a short article that uh, John Cotton uh, earlier this evening uh, put out from The Diplomat uh, that I think well, was good to start the show out and to start a discussion uh, with Hector uh, tonight, and then we'll uh, bring folks in as, as the conversation goes. Uh, but anyway, it goes uh, from The Diplomat. Again, this was put out by uh, Tom Cotton earlier this evening. It says, we are ascribed. We often describe a basic level of humanity to the cruelest leaders. And again, this is what we're going to be kind of uh, discussing, maybe even debating tonight. Um, and this is actually an article written today uh, by uh, Ben Lawson. It says, well, we often describe the basic level of humanity to even the cruelest leaders, but People's Republic of China's leader Jin, uh, Xi Jinping's actions have forced us to rethink this assumption. Although the emergence of the novel coronavirus known as SARS-CoV-2 was probably not due to China's actions, the emphasis that the authoritarian system places on hiding bad news likely gave the disease a sizable head start infecting the world. But honestly, China's obsession with image and material politics raises serious questions about its lack of moral limits. At some point, the Chinese Communist Party learned of the epidemic and made a decision to hide its existence, hoping it went away. Exposés in Hong Kong, South China Morning Post, and Chinese mainland Zaxin show the information that did, did flow out of China early in the crisis did only because of the courage of individual Chinese people in the face of government repression. People in the Wuhan epicenter, however, began to get wise and wise and scared. By the end of December 2019, forcing the government to say something, the authorities gave the impression of a non-transmissible disease already under containment. We now know this was entirely false, likely designed to give more ease to civil unrest than protect the people. The mayor of Wuhan even suggested that the central government prevented him from revealing details about the epidemic until January 20th. Considering the first public announcements came out of Wuhan on January 1st, we can assume that Jing had a sense of danger prior to that. Clearly, downplaying the disease wasn't working, and it was time for the party to get serious. But how serious? Or would it provide full cooperation to the international community? Would being seen as the source of this virus hurt its international image? Beyond these was a darker dimension. The more Beijing cooperated, the less the disease stood to affect other countries. This includes uh, countries China sees as a threat to its existence, like the United States. Why should China suffer the effect of a pandemic while others stay safe? And they increased, increased their strength relative to China based on China's own costly experience. Such a question is, of course, endemic 
or inimical to human decency. And yet we must consider that Jing, uh, Xi Jinping has produced the greatest program of ethnic cleansing in the world today. He has curta curtailed freedoms in China severely and is the father of the Pan state. His incessant military buildup threatens neighbors while using economic and subversive means to erode the sovereignty. Other countries around the world, we should not assume it is beyond his imagining to withhold a degree of support from the international community to ensure that China would not suffer alone. Uh, you know, again, we're going to discuss and debate on whether these things are actually true. Uh, I mean, there may, may be some evidence, yes, but that's definitely part of what we're going uh, to discuss tonight, but I will finish your article here. It says, strong evidence, and this is what we're going to talk about uh, tonight, and then perhaps uh, get some counter-arguments about this, but anyway, this strong evidence supports this idea. idea. Hearing the, and this is why we're going to be bringing in the World Health Organization, uh, repeat and praise the party line while giving short thrift to health advice until quite recently, and it has alarmed many. Seeing Beijing sell defective wares and claim it's humanitarian aid has angered many more. Spreading disinformation during the crisis and hinting at using life-saving goods for leverage uh, while denying even the faintest sense of wrongdoing. Uh, again, some of this is opinion. It says, I have suspected, uh, I suspect they have ruined China's reputation for some time to come. In short, China's good offices have been reserved almost entirely for burnishing its image in the world's expense while calling it the greatness, kindness, and good deeds. None of this can prove whether when Xi made a deliberate decision to withhold information in order to imperil others. However, as a longtime student and admirer of China and its great sadness, I must concede that such a state and its increasingly paranoid leader might very well provide less than full cooperation to stem the pandemic of a century in a crass pursuit of its own interests. This may constitute biological warfare. But even if it, do, but even if it doesn't, Jing should be brought into account crimes against humanity. So a couple things to sum that up, and I apologize if I read fast. It's kind of my, my nature, but um, but you can find a lot of this article not on the website, but when I found it on on Twitter from Cotton put out. But it sounds like they're stating that China may have withheld things on purpose, not really to to, to save face as much as to hurt and weaken other nations in the United States, including the United States, you know, I mean, the other nations, but especially the United States, or at least including the United States. That's something that I, I'm not sure of, and that's why I want to have our next guest on uh, from the LaRouche Pack, uh, Hector, is because I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of torn, as, as I stated in a conversation we had tonight. I mean, if this stuff is really true, uh, it just—it's hard to imagine. Well, it's not hard to imagine, to be honest. But that's—I mean, I'm kind of leaning towards this stuff is true. I mean, I would hate to think that it is. Uh, I, you know, I would like for us to be able to, you know, work together with with the uh, other larger countries if that's possible. Uh, but I don't know. But let's go ahead and get some of those uh, questions answered uh, from our guests. And then again, I have the others on the line. Push the one on your number dial. Get you into the show. Uh, welcome those who are in chat as well. And then I do see that uh, Joseph Barter wants to chime in, but we'll get you in after uh, our guest and during our guest if you can be with us for a little bit. We'll really appreciate it. But let's go ahead and bring in Hector. Uh, Hector, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? 
Yeah, hi Robert. I'm doing uh I'm doing just fine. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. You're welcome. It's good. It's good to have you. So, you know, I, again, I'll just re- look at some things tonight and I got a a tweet from uh from Cotton and you know, with with the article and I I'm just reading through it and I, it's something I considered before. I may even have said something about it, you know, on the show here and there. Uh, I mean, I'm leaning more on the side of not trusting China and thinking they may have some nefarious uh, intent. Uh, you may, you know, the Roof Pack and others may have a kind of a different um, thought on that. And I was wanting to bring, you know, that information to the fore as well so we can, you know, kind of pan things out and try to get, get down to what really is the truth here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, first of all, um, I, I didn't catch everything that was in the article. Um, it was a little bit quick, but I did catch a few things. Um, and yeah, I got, that's something I got to learn yeah. there, Doctor. I got to learn to read. I, I, I took when I'm sixth grade, no in the sixth grade, I took speed reading in the sixth grade, and I never got over it. <laughs> so, <go> <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. Um, yeah, no, I, I think um, I think everybody uh, listening in should take it upon themselves um, to, um, you know, take these things with a grain of salt. Um, there have been timelines provided. China has provided a timeline in terms of the response. Um, and, you know, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty details of what happened exactly when. I think the better approach is to take this uh, from the top down and um, kind of zoom out a little bit and look at this a little bit more in, in context. Um, I, was, um, I was planning to read some of the statements that were issued by Mrs. LaRouche uh, just actually earlier today on the, what she calls anti-China hysteria. Um, it was a rather extended um, statement, so I, I'm not going to read through it. Otherwise, I'd have to read through it, you know fairly quickly because it's like, like um, I did. Yeah, no. but anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I wanted to go through the geopolitical context of this. Um, and something that we've, we've pointed out repeatedly is that these attacks on China, and they are attacks, um, are coming from the same people that actually initiated Russiagate, that actually initiated uh, the slanders against Trump being a uh, a puppet of Putin uh, as uh, Russia the number one threat to the world or one of the greatest threats to the world, uh, which is undermining our democracy, that it's actually coming from the same people, that it's coming from uh, British circles, British intelligence. Um, as many of your listeners and yourself probably know, the, um, the Russiagate operation actually started with a dossier that was put together, a very fraudulent dossier, put together by a former British uh, intelligence operative, Christopher Steele. Um, in fact, the, one of the uh, slanders against China, which is that they deployed this as a biological weapon, also has come from British intelligence-connected sources. Um, actually, the Daily Mail was the first that published that this could be a biological weapon and what they cited was a Nature magazine article um, back in 2007 uh, saying that some scientists outside China worry about pathogens escaping a laboratory that 
is in Wuhan, actually. Um, and later, this magazine, uh, Nature, was actually forced to um, to basically issue a disclaimer saying that there was there was no evidence to that to that effect. And in fact, there there is none. Um, but the Daily Mail published this. It was picked up by the Washington Times, um, which basically perpetuated this um, this uh, this slander, and it basically became viral. It was picked up in social media, blogs, a podcast by Steve Bannon, um, and eventually ended ending up to Senator Tom Cotton. Um, but you know, even the Washington Post picked this up. Um, but this is this is how this works. Um, the Daily Mail author um, issued another article on April on April fourth. One of his sources uh, is actually uh, the Henry Jackson Society, which is uh, which is a British think tank, a very rabid anti-China think tank, um, whose creation was actually sponsored by uh, former MI6 chief Sir Richard Dearlove. Uh, of which the same Christopher Steele was actually operating under at the time. So, you know, these are the guys who wrote the Weapons of Mass Destruction dossier, which Tony Blair then brought to the United States together with uh, Dick Cheney, um, presented uh, these lies that got us into the war in Iraq. So these slanders against China, this operation um, has only recently increased um, greatly, and because Trump has stopped, actually stopped, uh, said there's not going to be any more political attacks against China, um, some of the war hawks in his, in his administration are using the WHO as basically a, a sort of surrogate entity to attack. But the real target is China, um, and this policy goes back to the Obama administration. Um, China is not a threat, I would say, to the United States, but actually a threat to the globalist system. Um, they have rejected, in the wake of the 2008 financial collapse, the free trade monetarist system, which not only deindustrialized the United States, but also, um, but, um, which also, uh, um, you know, some people say benefited China, which is partly true, but also created them into a cheap labor operation. Um, but they've rejected that, actually, um, for a more sane policy of development and infrastructure uh, and industry, developing their healthcare system. Uh, they've actually brought 800 million people out of poverty and have become a willing partner of the United States. In fact, the United States, when Obama was in office, Xi Jinping said, uh, we welcome you to join the Belt and Road Initiative, or what LaRouche had originally termed the New Silk Road policy, um, which we had campaigned for back in the 90s. And Obama just straight out said no. In fact, Obama carried out a policy of containment and provocation, similar to that policy against Russia. Deploy troops into the South China Sea. We increased troops in the Philippines. Uh, Trump rejected the Belt and Road Initiative trade deal, which would have brought infrastructure funding to the United States. Um, and instead proposed the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, which is a, tr you know, a free trade deal for the Pacific, uh, excluding one country, China. So very, very clear policy against China. Um, 
And a lot of these neocons and neoliberals continue attacking China today because they see them as a threat, not to the United States, but to the global monetarist system, um, which is right now uh, struggling to survive under collapse. Uh, in fact, the debt uh, has not been uh, – the indebtedness and bankruptcy of the financial system was never uh, fixed in 2008. Um, but rather just continued and made even larger. So coronavirus pandemic or not, this financial system was ready to blow, and we are now seeing its inevitable last death throes in, this, in these phases. Um, so that is really one of the larger strategic um, considerations here with this, with this crowd. And I, I got a yeah. And earlier in our discussion tonight, and and I've got an audio, but I'm gonna I've got a couple callers. Jason, will get you in. I got a Skype caller. Uh, I'll be doing getting you in the green room in a little bit. Uh, to you know just get your name. But and again, the uh, to the new callers, just push the one on your number dial, and and you'll get in. And one of the people you mentioned, you know, at least surrounding Trump and, and his inner circles, is you know Secretary of State uh, Pompeo. And I got an audio that I'm gonna play in an interview we did tonight. Uh, in a little bit, uh, but you know, it's one of those players that I, I that we were talking about, you know, tonight. And he didn't talk a lot about. I mean, he kind of repeated himself. You'll see what I'm talking about. And I really, hate, I really hate when they do that because you really don't feel like you get much information when they just keep saying the same things over and over again. Uh, now, I'm gonna get. Uh, I'm gonna get uh, Joseph in if, he, if he's got any questions or comments for that, and then I'll play the audio, and then I'll get our Skype caller. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are things definitely interesting. I don't, you know, I'm still, you know, t- you know, torn with what I'm seeing. So, real quick before I get Joseph in, so a lot of the how, how do I sconce this is, you know, so a, a lot of the media reports and things of that nature, uh, and then in China, I mean, China is building up their militaries. Is that's one of the things that this I mean, we are too, uh, you know. But it looks like they're they're kind of poised you know, towards wanting to, you know, become the world's preeminent power. I mean, how would we contest against that? I mean, with, with those reports, I mean, are those what, you know, now popular with fake news? Or, I mean, these things actually happening? Or they, or are they spun? And if so, if it's spin, uh, how, how, you know, maybe elaborate on what, what that spin is. Um, you're referring to a military buildup. I mean, can you be more specific or you mean just, well, for one, they're you know they're creating uh, you know they're creating those bases in the South China Sea through minor things that they're actually building islands you know out you know out there. Also, I heard that you know now one one not on I I think I don't know if I can remember if it was off show you hear, but they're actually you know going west you know like building now some are saying I think building the military, but people are thinking that maybe this might be a precursor. Uh, to work in tandem with them building your military is building infrastructure to, uh, in these other countries, perhaps to make a, a reliance on China or something of that nature. Uh, we've talked something about that where, you know, with their military buildup, building that infrastructure, uh, infrastructure west, that somehow they're, they're trying to build themselves as the new uh, hegemon of the, of the world. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, th- this is uh, this is very common, especially since 2013 when uh, China adopted the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, 
yeah, as far as the South China Sea goes, uh, I mean, I won't say much on that um, clear. Um, they're operating in the South China Sea. That's their territory. Um, there's not only, as far as I understand, um, not just China that was building islands there, but also other countries operating in the region. question is, why is the United States there? Um, what's our interest there? Like I said, this policy goes back to part of the Asia pivot policy of Obama uh, to contain and provoke uh, China. Um, and, you know, Mrs. LaRouche in this statement said it's, it's really quite, um, it's a, this is a view that comes from a, it's a very deep-seated geopolitical view. Um, and the Chinese have been very clear on what this mindset is. It's a zero-sum game mindset, which means that if one China benefits in some way or another, that it means that the opposing power loses. So that the rise of China necessarily means the downfall of the United States or the West in general. Um, she, would, she would say that's an absolutely wrong view. In fact, China has at no point threatened to replace the United States as a hegemonic power. Um, in fact, the uh, Chinese ambassador, uh, Mr. Teng, Tengkai, Kui Tengkai, I'm probably saying that completely wrong, um, but he was in an interview recently talking about how we need international collaboration if we're not only going to defeat the pandemic, but also if we're, if we're gonna carry on towards peace and prosperity in the future. And he pointed out specifically that this view of a unilateral or even a, you know, a bipolar world um, is not going to work. That you need a multilateral approach where you respect the sovereignty of each and every country and promote cooperation for the benefit of all. And he says, it's not really the question of a of a system or some kind of global, uh, even you know, architecture, some setup, but rather a change in mindset among uh, the people of the world. And he said that the critical factor here, especially, um, was uh, the collaboration between the United States and China. But yeah, a lot of this stuff has has really um, uh, been coordinated through the media. Um, a lot of mainstream media is really just a front for, for U.S. and British intelligence, to be quite honest. Um, and they've carried out this kind of psychological warfare to convince people that, yes, what China is doing around the world by helping you know, poor countries build infrastructure is really just a military deployment. Um, in fact, China only has one base, I believe, in Africa. I believe it's in Djibouti. Um, where they've helped build a railway uh, into Ethiopia, um, which has actually helped the country greatly. Um, Ethiopia is a great example. Um, I've heard this many times that, you know, China is just doing like the European colonial powers did, which is just there to extract raw materials and uh, use those poor African labor. Um, in fact, Ethiopia is not really a resource-rich country. Um, very early on, the Chinese had a very hands-on approach uh, to these infrastructure projects, um, you know, probably to make sure that they went right. But um, as the Belt and Road Initiative advanced, a lot of these infrastructure projects employed mostly Africans. In fact, they're benefiting Africans. This infrastructure does not belong to China, it belongs to the countries in Africa which are participating um, 
And those funds are low interest rate, long-term loans made available through uh, one of the many international banks that China has created specifically for this purpose. Um, and it benefits not just those African countries, but yeah, it benefits China too. Um, China does increase trade um, and relations with these countries, but is it a plot to, uh, you know, militarily encroach upon the rest of the world? I, I see no evidence. Uh, I see no evidence to that to that effect. Yeah, there's certainly that's why I like to cover you know both sides you know you know on the show uh, because you know one thing we you know, touting since the beginning of you know the, the program is you know do your own research you know get yourself informed uh, don't rely on you know someone else to tell you about you know what the news is or what the truth is go, go discover it for yourself and so let's go ahead and. Uh, we'll bring in uh, Joseph, and then I've got that audio I want to play. Uh, I, I can't believe we're already halfway, <laughs> a half hour into the show, but let's go ahead and bring in uh, Joseph. While Joseph's on the line, I do have a Skype uh, caller. I'm going to get you in the green room, just get your name, and then we'll uh, get that uh, audio for you. Uh, thank you very much, Joseph, calling from Hawaii. Uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Uh, thank you so much for asking. Pleasure to be back on the show, Robert, and yourself. You're welcome. Good, good. It's, uh, it's good to be back on. Uh, I do have a couple of questions for your guests, but I first wanted to start off. Sure, go ahead. I'll be with, in the green room for a minute. Go uh, ahead. No problem. Um, so, you okay. Um, so, what I wanted to even get the chance to ask uh, our guest uh, a couple of questions. Um, yesterday, the uh, mayor of... Uh, Honolulu County is going to issue a uh, mandate, uh, effective Monday, April 20th, going to mandate that every single person has to wear masks in going into uh, any uh, stores that are currently open or riding public transportation, or you will be uh, issued a $5,000 citation or uh, be charged with a misdemeanor. And... um, it's uh, extremely discouraging because people uh, are very uh, scared and uh, we live in uh, uncertain times, unprecedented times. People are hurting, including myself and uh, a lot of my loved ones and friends as well. And uh, the sad part is you have certain um, so-called leaders that are just venting Kind of just how would I say uh, inventing the rules as they go along? Uh, why create more stringent measures that I I don't believe are deemed necessary? That is just making everyday life, which is no longer everyday life. Um, today is the thirtieth day that the the uh, in, in complete country has been shut down. Why why do that unnecessarily? Why why create more panic? Why create more uncertainty? Why make things more difficult than it already is? And um trust me when I tell you, every single politician, I don't care if you have a D or an R next to them or a libertarian, every single politician who made these calls, who called it wrong they will have to answer to the constituents. And I'm telling you, I'm speaking to a lot of people that I know on a personal level that 
belong to different political parties, and they are so fed up that they're at the point where they don't they don't care anymore whether it's a, a D or an R. Uh, they're actually for the first time referring to their politicians by their actual names and saying, when November comes, your head is on the chopping block. Uh, even came from a friend last night who said he's never voted in his life before. And he says, I don't care. Uh, you know, these, these, these uh, mandates are further harming our people. putting the economy May 1st. Because I'm going to call it right down the line with every single politician. And I'm not going to interject my personal feelings. No, I'm going to judge a politician by their record, as should be. And if I feel that the president is not taking us in the right direction, I'm going to be the first one to call out the president as a patriotic American. And so I know he's saying that come May 1st, it's going to be the hardest decision of his life. And I get it. But nonetheless, he has to start reopening the economy. It needs to start opening by May 1st. And if other governors of certain states, such as Michigan and California and New York, that already April 30th has not even arrived here yet, and they're already saying that, you know, the president doesn't have the authority to open up New York or California. They do. Well, that worries me because basically what are they implying? I I read it as they're basically implying even if the scientists, even if the data, even if the, the models say that it's okay to start opening regions of the economy, I'm not going to, you know. Um so to our guests from China, uh, I'm talking about China from the Lurish Pack. Um, I, I thank you very much for taking the time to come onto this show. Uh, I, I deeply respect what you say, and I completely agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, I think America's one of America's biggest foreign policy failures, and we've had many in our illustrious over 200 a year of being a country, um, is China is previous administrations failed to take any aggressive actions toward China. Too many administrations going on back to the LBJ administration failed to hold China accountable. So, you know, this is not, and I would like your feedback on that because I, I think you would know a lot more than that than I do. But from my knowledge, this did not start with the Obama administration this did not start with the George W. Bush administration. This did not start with the Donald J. Trump administration. This has been going on for over 40 years where presidents have taken a weak foreign policy approach towards China, basically have allowed them to do as they please and not make any serious interventions. And therefore, well, geez, you give a country like China over 40 years, heck, just give some countries just 20 years. You've given them all the time in the world to build up their military or their economy to the uh, utmost might to be able to do everything in their power to get what they've always wanted from day one, which is to be the number one global leader in the world, the most powerful country. And I defer back to to you, sir, um, from the Lewis Pact. Forgive me, uh, what is your name again, sir? Sorry, I was Hector, muted there. Yeah, Hector. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. sorry. So my apologies, Hector. Um, no, no, so no, no, what, no what is your insight pertaining to to that about um, 
this China problem having, you know, having started over 40 years ago easily uh, and by so many administrations who had took, who, who, who uh, took for, uh, you know, very weak foreign policy, um, had weak foreign policies with China and, and didn't, never, never held them accountable, never took the stringent measures that they should have to do everything in mm-hmm. the power to have prevented them from, right now they are the second most powerful economy in the world, but, you know, who knows with the way things are going, they're pretty close to becoming the number one. That article, real quick before you answer, Hector, and I think that the article uh, from Totten was kind of alluding to that, where you know, in order to, and, and I'm, and the same, I'm not saying there's there's truth to it, maybe maybe not, but I think that's what that art, the first article was alluding to, is that was kind of the purpose, at least I, that's what I garnered from it, is that was kind of the purpose is not necessarily to save face. Was actually to, to weaken other countries, especially the United States, with the the economies with the the Wuhan virus. Again, that that's a theory. I, I would say it's a working theory right now. But go ahead, Hector. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just want to say uh, uh, to the question. I just thank you for your your statements, and I um, hey, I completely understand where you're you're coming from about opening up the economy. There's a lot of um, people under a kind of the rest that want to get back to work. Um, and here in Michigan, there was actually a big protest today in Lansing um, where people were protesting. You know, some there were some people in general protesting, saying, you know, this is a power grab, and, you know, this is an excuse for martial law, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't think that was the majority of people. The majority of people were actually protesting, I, I believe, um, some of the arbitrary measures in Gretchen Whitmer's, uh, you know, shutdown policy, um, which were preventing certain businesses um, from operating, which could do so safely, um, and also just restricting uh, movement of some people within the state, but not restricting, uh, you know, movement of people going outside of the state to residences that they had. Um, So, you know, just like things like that, where just people are, um, you know, saying, "Why, why can't, you know, maybe landscapers or fishermen, you know, work where they can safely. Um, or, you know, maybe you can, you can paint the outside of a house and not the inside of the house, you know, something like, something like that. Um, but I just want to address the general point of this, which is that the policy is not going to be the same in every state. Obviously in hotspots, the policy has to be different than in more rural areas or areas or states that are less affected. Um, and these policies are going to have to be, tailored, I think Fauci was making statements to this to this effect, is that the, the policy is going to look different all over the country and it's going to have it's going to be up to the governors um, to make their best assessment uh, on this issue. <clears throat> um, but yeah, that's the beautiful thing about Americans is that, you know, we can't just stand still. We want to get back to work. Um, obviously, we should do it in the safest way possible to protect our, our population. Um, but uh, to your question, um, this is a this is a difficult question. It requires, I think, it actually requires some history. Um, I would actually argue that China is a natural ally of the United States. Um, under Xi Jinping, there was actually um, a Confucian revival 
a Confucian philosophical revival. This is actually the central philosophy of China's Belt and Road policy, but also China's philosophy towards the rest of the world. And the, one of the central conceptions uh, of Confucianism um, is actually similar to that of Christianity, the golden rule. This actually comes from Confucius, that you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And this is, this is really the philosophical core of Xi Jinping's win-win policy, is that the Chinese will not take on any political or trade deal which only benefits one party, even if it's China. They will only take on that deal if it benefits both parties. And that is evident everywhere that you see uh, China's Belt and Road Initiative. Um, Sun Yat-sen was actually a student of the American system. He was a student of Abraham Lincoln's philosophical thought um, of the American Republic, um, which orients itself to organize the powers of the state uh, towards its internal improvement um, and towards the increase of productive power of each individual worker um, and that we should promote the better angels of our nature. Um, Sun Yat-sen took this idea back to China. He was was the leader of the Republican movement in China, uh, leader of the the Kuomintang, um, and it was really one of the biggest mistakes in U.S. history to, to not support the Kuomintang and this legacy of Sun Yat-sen in China in their fight against the communists. In fact, this was one of the things that John F. Kennedy had brought up, um, who, as you guys know, fought in World War II, but he was a journalist afterwards, and he expressed this in one of his speeches. I forget which one. Um, but that he just could not believe why this policy that China was our ally, Chiang Kai-shek was our ally um, during World War II, and that we, we did not support uh, them in their fight against communism when they needed us. And this allowed Mao Zedong to take over the country. Um, but this was all done under the auspices of the Cold War and the turn of the United States towards an alliance with the British Empire, um, which basically set up an East versus West, you know, uh, uh, democracies versus uh, communist dictatorships uh, paradigm um, and the rest is kind of history um, but actually after after Mao Zedong um, the country was actually reversed in course by Deng Xiaoping and they really rejected a lot of this communist stuff um, you know the communist revolution the cultural revolution in China had really devastating effects because it just tore up the classical tradition, the Confucian traditions of, of traditional Chinese society. Um, and a lot of that policy was reversed uh, under Deng Xiaoping, where they reintroduced Confucius. Uh, they, re- they introduced uh, Western classical culture. Classical music was reintroduced into China in this period. And the emphasis um, was that we would do like America and other developed countries is that we would have an emphasis on scientific and technological progress. Um, now, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on China during the 70s, 80s, and 90s. There were various phases of opening up um, and, you know, various changes between presidents. Um, but I think we should be more angry at those who destroyed our system of actually being able to fund 
the same types of projects that China is doing today, which is not only infrastructure, but it's fusion development, it's space development. What we spend on infrastructure in a year, China spends only on high-speed rail. Our whole infrastructure investment budget, maintenance and new infrastructure, that same amount, I don't have the figure in front of me, um, but the same exact amount China spends only on high-speed rail. So they have a much larger budget for these sorts of things. But there was a radical shift in the 1970s um, to take down the Bretton Woods system, which was created by the United States after World War II to create a stable international financial system to, to allow for long-term development of the kind that China has taken on today. In fact, um, the... Uh, the United Nations and the World Bank and these types of institutions were actually originally intended to help export American capital goods to help develop the third world, uh, to help end colonialism. This was actually the stated intention of Franklin Roosevelt, and that all unfortunately changed under Harry Truman and the Cold War. Um, but ironically, we have rejected this idea of nation building. We don't build cities. We don't invest in fusion really at all. We collapsed our space program funding and we basically allow financial and economic power to, to the banks, to the financial elite. And they dictate what can be invested in. Um, China has largely rejected that Western liberal financial model uh, and gone instead with a more dirigistic American style approach they mistakenly call it socialism with Chinese characteristics. I would actually argue that it's, um, that it's more the American system with Chinese uh, characteristics. Um, so anyways, I think there's a huge basis for cooperation. Um, obviously, they don't have the same political model that we do, and we don't advocate, you know, having a one-party system or you know, having a quasi-communist state or what have you. Um, but it's very clear that our two-party system has not worked. And what you described with people just being absolutely fed up, um, I think is just really indicative of that. People are absolutely fed up because we can't get, actually get anything done. Um, so anyways, I, I hope, that, um, hope that helps. I apologize if my responses are a little bit long, but you know, a lot oh, of no, stuff requires um, a little bit, a little bit of context. You know, we had uh, we had Joe in the line, but uh, we we lost his call. Joe, you're back out there. Just pushed a one on your dial. We'll get you into the show. Um, yeah, I do. You, again, on our conversation earlier, you mentioned Pompeo, and it just happened to be where you know I was uh, <clears throat> watching a little TV while I was doing uh, eating dinner. And lo and behold, who popped up on the TV to do a short interview <laughs> was Mike Pompeo. Uh, Mike Pompeo, so, <laughs> yes, sir. Yep, yep. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's uh, that's serendipitous, a law of attraction kind of thing. So I'm going to go ahead and play that, and then Kelly will get you on the line. Uh, Joe, again, if you're back out there, push the one your number dial. We'll get you into the show. And then I got a – we may be able to get um, – to it now. I know we, we talked earlier because uh, I know Kelly's got some some questions. Uh, you said you'd be able to stay about an hour, hour and a half. Is, would it be closer to the hour, or closer to the hour and a half? You think you'd be able to be with us? Um, yeah, I can I can try to go past an, an hour. That's that's fine. Yeah, sure. 
As long okay, as we have questions Kelly coming wants, in, I'll, I'll try to. Oh, yeah, certainly. I know Kelly wants to say some things, but uh, since you brought up uh, Pompeo and it just happened again that uh, he was on the uh, uh, show doing an interview tonight, I want to play it, so I'm going to mute some mics and, uh, and go ahead and play that audio, and then we'll bring it over to you, Hector, to make some comments on that. We'll bring in Kelly, uh, and then if we get to the – there's one thing I want to talk about and get, get your opinion on is I know there's a lot of uh, – how are we going to make it, you know, trying to pay? How are we going to make trying to pay? Is, you know, you're hearing that collection call for that, whether it's uh, warranted or not, that, that'll be part of our conversation. Now, one of the things uh, that they're talking about is, and here's the, here's the um, I, I don't like, uh, well, it's, it's, it's just China, it's the article I got, and hopefully we'll get to it, says should China, or China should forgive U.S. debt as restitution for coronavirus, Senator says. And I hope we'll be able to get to that before you know you have to you have to go for the evening because I'd, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. I mean, of course, I've got thoughts on it too. Uh, but let's go ahead and get that audio uh, that I got uh, tonight. Good evening. We're glad to be joined by Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Secretary Pompeo, thank you very much for being with us tonight. Um, your thoughts, I guess, first of all, just your reaction to that story and that question from John Roberts. What do you say to that? Well, Martha, thanks for having me on the show tonight. Uh, the, the mere fact that John, that John had to ask the question, the mere fact that we don't know the answers, that China hasn't shared the answers, I think is very, very telling. Uh, to your point, the uh, President said that there are multiple sources. What we do know uh, is we know that this uh, virus originated in Wuhan, China. We know that there is the Wuhan Institute of Virology just a handful of miles away from where the wet market was. Uh, there's still lots to learn. You should know that the United States government is working diligently to figure this out. But what we really need, Martha, we really need the Chinese government to open up. They say they want to cooperate. One of the best ways they could find to cooperate would be to, to let the world in, to let uh, the world scientists know exactly how this came to be, exactly how this virus began to spread. And today you saw further evidence that there were days, days that went by from when uh, the Chinese Communist Party, the leadership there, knew about this virus before they told the public writ large uh, that's dangerous. A lot, of, a lot of cases, a lot of movement, a lot of travel around the world before the Chinese Communist Party came clean about what really transpired there. These are the kind of things that yeah. uh, open governments, democracies don't do. It's why uh, there's such risk associated with the absence of transparency. We need it still today. I mean, it's, it's hard to imagine, given everything that so many countries have been through, how different it might have been if China had immediately been clear about what they knew about the origin of this virus. And if they had, you know, shut down all of the travel at that point, there were tens of thousands of people who flew out of the Wuhan area after that point. So how does this not have a very negative, heavyweight impact on our relationship with China going forward? Martha, I'll say this. I've talked to my counterparts all across the world over the past handful of days. Uh, they all see this, too. Uh, it's very difficult to make the case that there was anything but uh, absence of shared information in a timely fashion. It didn't just put Americans at risk. It put people all across the world at risk. You know, it wasn't until the end of January that we brought the first Americans home, the roughly 800 people that we got back from Wuhan itself. Uh, they were at risk for an awfully long time. Uh, the Chinese government needs to come clean. It needs to be accountable. It needs to explain what happened and, and why it is the case that that information wasn't made more broadly available. We, we could have done things differently. The world would have responded quickly. Frankly, uh, the international health organizations uh, didn't do us any favors either in making sure this information was 
broadcast in a way that it needed to be with transparent and full information. Yeah. You know, I mean, the president has made a lot of effort to be very supportive of his friendship and his relationship with President Xi, uh, even on, on January 24th, saying that he hopes it works out well. He appreciated the efforts and the transparency on the part of the Chinese government. He wanted to thank President Xi for that. I mean, can those kind of statements go forward anymore? Uh, I know the president talks a lot about the trade deal and, and making sure that they don't renege on their promises there. It almost feels like that's the one piece that is holding that relationship together at this point because we're counting on those trade agreements and those trade relationships with China. Well, we've seen the president be serious about writing the disaster that was the trade relationship before he came to office. He's made it more fair and reciprocal. We, we have an expectation that they will live up to their obligations under the phase one trade deal. It was a good deal for both parties. Uh, as for the relationship, we, we want to cooperate. It's 1.5 billion people in China. Uh, we want the Chinese people to be successful, uh, but it requires leadership that's prepared to engage in the international community on a fair and reciprocal basis and to share information the way we expect every nation to do that. Uh, it, it doesn't appear that that happened here. The president talked about uh, their day-to-day, -day, and he asked if anybody believed uh, the numbers uh, of deaths and the numbers of cases inside yeah. of China. That's the kind of doubt and uncertainty that, that happens when you close down, when you uh, kick journalists out of your country. Uh, all we're asking is for the yeah. Chinese to cooperate and share that information with us. Uh, it would be very helpful to the United States that it would keep us safe. Frankly, it would keep the Chinese people safer, too. Do you trust what you hear from the Chinese officials when you deal with them? You know, it varies. Um, I try to take them at their word, but we're always, in every relationship we have, trying to make sure we verify everything. It's it's not about words, it's about actions. We need, we need to make sure that every country lives up to the commitments that they made. So I want to ask you about these cables, uh, this story that came out a couple of days ago in the Washington Post by Josh Rogan that said that there were cables that were highlighting very big concerns about what was going on in these Wuhan labs, um, that they felt that there weren't enough people there given the highly uh, contagious and dangerous materials that they were dealing with, with these bats and these viruses. They said that it was highly likely that a pandemic could result from how mishandled uh, everything was there. What happened to those cables? Who received them uh, in the State Department? Who went over them in the State Department two years ago? But I appreciate you want to ask about that. I, I can't comment on the cables tonight. I, I can say this. Uh, this is a, uh, a laboratory that contained uh, highly contagious uh, materials. Uh, we knew that. We knew that they were working on this program. Many, many countries have programs like this. And in countries that are open and transparent, they have the ability to control and keep them safe, and they allow outside observers in to make sure all the processes and procedures are right. Uh, I, I only wish that that had happened in this place. Um, we would know more about it, and we would know more about what has transpired there, if anything, today. Is that something that you're looking into, what happened with those, with those bits of information and who followed up on them? Absolutely, Martha. We're, we're doing a full investigation of uh, everything we can to learn how it is the case that this virus got away, got out into the world, and now has created so much, so much tragedy, so much death here in the United States and all around the world at an enormous cost to the global economy as well. Yeah. 
I, I, one person who is obviously also very involved in world health is, is Bill Gates. He takes issue with the American decision, the president's decision, to stop funding them at least temporarily until we get some answers on all of this. Um, here's what he said. Halting funding for the World Health Organization during a world health crisis is as dangerous as it sounds. Their work is showing the spread of COVID-19, and if that work is stopped, no other organization can replace them. The world needs the WHO now more than ever. What do you say to that, given the president's decision? Well, what the world needs is an institution, an organization that actually delivers on the mission set, right? The thing the president uh, caused the president to make this decision was the fact that the World Health Organization uh, didn't do that, uh, that for an awfully long time it said that there wasn't a pandemic. It uh, delayed announcements about things that it knew uh, inside of China yeah. that were going on. That's about politics, not science. We need a scientific organization that is engaged in the uh, medical, the epidemiological, and health work that it was designed to do. The president's now put a pause on yeah. funding. We're going to evaluate how best that this mission be executed, and it is designed to make sure we protect America and protect American taxpayers, too. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask you about this Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps vessels that have conducted what are called dangerous and harassing approaches to several U.S. warships. Okay, that was just about a topic, not anything we're discussing tonight. And in the beginning, what they're talking about is there's a press conference that Trump was doing, uh, and there's, you know, of course, speculation that what happened with the with the virus is that an intern uh, caught the coronavirus and gave it to her boyfriend, and somehow they uh, spread it to a wet market somehow. And that's just how it got out of control. But let's go ahead and I'll open the mics back up. First, I'll open up Hector's if you want to uh, comment on you know, anything in that audio. And then I'm going to bring it back to uh, to you, Kelly. Then I'll bring in uh, Joseph for any uh, comment there. And if we have time, uh, I want to talk about this possibility of trying to give U.S. debt uh, – should forgive U.S. debt as restitution for coronavirus, and uh, that's a short article too. I'll try to read it slower, but in the interest of time, I, I may have to, to speed through it, and that's that's usually why I do go through those fast because I want to be able to you know, get out there and then and get our comments. Because even though it is a three-hour show, at least for me, it seems to go by pretty quickly. <laughs> so go ahead, uh, Hector, and then I'll bring uh, you, you back in, Kelly, and then or back bring in Kelly, and then you, Joseph. Go ahead, uh, Hector. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm glad you played that clip, actually. Um, the interviewer made it clear that Trump's, Trump's view uh, of China was actually quite different than what, uh, or at least his approach was quite different than to what Pompeo was spelling out. Um, and this is what we were discussing before, that Trump's policy towards China, Trump's policy towards Russia is actually very much quite different of that of um, some of the individuals in his administration. Uh, in fact, I would question where Pomp's, Pompeo's loyalty lies, in fact. Um, one of the gentlemen that's been working with us is a uh, famous whistleblower, Bill Binney, um, who was the top technical director at the NSA. He actually created some of the programs which could have stopped 9-11, um, one of them called the Thin Thread Program. Um, he blew the whistle on the NSA because instead of opting for his program, Instead, they went for a mass spying program uh, to collect everyone's data and store it. And he said, you'll never find terrorists that way because you have too much data. So anyways, I say this to say that he's a global authority on 
uh, cybersecurity in these kinds of matters. He has been working with our organization, um, but he was also asked by Trump. Um, I'm sorry, he asked Pompeo to meet with Bill Binney um, because Bill Binney had done the cyber forensic analysis on the so-called Russian hack of the DNC. Um, and Pompeo met with him for at least an hour or two, as Bill Binney describes. And he presented him with all the evidence, and he said, I can prove this in the court of law, and we can, we can really end this matter right here and right now. Um, and basically, Pompeo at that time was not the um, Secretary of State, but was actually the um, director of the CIA, um, basically decided to do nothing. Um, he left it up to Bill Binney to go by his own way and find his own way to try to do this um, and didn't receive any help from Pompeo himself. Um, but what the clip shows is that they've, I believe that they have two completely different views regarding China. Um, he alluded to the Wuhan laboratory, uh, which I brought up at the beginning, um, which is completely unsubstantiated that this was a pathogen that was released. The implication here is that this was something created by the Chinese. Um, there's no evidence to that. None that I know of. In fact, um, you can actually carbon date uh, a virus and it will actually tell you, the RNA will tell you um, where this thing originated from. So the Chinese, um, I, I don't know, he mentioned days, I've heard three weeks, I've heard two weeks, I've heard various different things on, you know, how long the Chinese, um, uh, you know, we're, we're, covering this up or refuse to act or what have you. Um, but from the time that the Chinese central government was alerted by Dr. Li Wenliang, um, the gentleman who died, who was stopped by the uh, supposedly some Wuhan officials. Um, so he blew the whistle on, on WeChat. Um, immediately the next day, um, China alerted the WHO and within about a week or so, actually had carried out their own investigation and had released the RNA to the world community. Um, so I, I'm not sure exactly what what he's referring to, but you know that's what I would have to say concerning Pompeo, where his loyalty actually lies to the president or elsewhere, because he's right now peddling uh, lines that are coming directly from British intelligence. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, that's an interesting point. Certainly, um, you know, I've never been a big fan of uh, England myself, but you know, an Irish guy myself. <laughs> but uh, always like to say, I was, I was talking to I was saying that to Daniels uh, some weeks ago. Like I knew it, I knew the uh, I knew the, the the British had to be involved somehow. <laughs> but I want to, as I promised, I want to bring in Kelly. He's been wanting to have comment and, and some questions. So let me go ahead and bring in uh, Kelly from California. Thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing all right. I got a couple questions for the guest there, and uh, tell you some Chinese history. It's quite fascinating. All the different provinces, and uh, they seem to attack each other. They don't really. The Chinese is not historically tried to conquer the world. Um, there was a nationalism. Um, Move towards uh, a democracy like Great Britain and America in the late 1800s and all the way into the 1920s, and it uh, didn't quite work. 
Um, well, it did for a while, but it didn't stick for whatever reason. It's very strange. And then you had Mao. Mao um, eventually got power and turned things communist. The Chinese history is very important to understand a number of things, but when communism took over, it's kind of, well, it's kind of a new game. Um, I did watch a interview, uh, Patrick Bet David, he's got a YouTube channel, Valuetainment, which I'm finding very interesting, a um, number of guests he's had on. He interviewed Brigadier General Robert Spaulding. Um, who served under the Vice Chief of Staff in February 2018. So it's pretty recent. But Mr. Spaulding, as, as a, in his 20s and 30s, he, early 30s, he lived in China. And he learned a lot about the culture. And the, the interview is named China's Silent Takeover While America's Elite Sleep. And there's a number of things China has done. They have stolen intellectual property. They've not honored trade agreements. They have. It's kind of like they're dirty players and not hard to tr- and not not very trustworthy. So Trump did have to put some tariffs in place as some kind of a quote unquote disciplinary measure. Um, and then on the other hand, some people I'm hearing that China did this deliberately to hurt the U.S. and the rest of the world. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense that they'd hurt their own people. Their own people would find out, and then they'd rebel, you know, overthrow the government, except in reality there's such a tight noose on any information that China could actually get away with this. Well, that's just kind of two different, you know, China released it, and that's the best way to hide it so there's none that doesn't start a war is you release it on your own people, but you have the antidote rather quickly. You already got it in the waiting. So we had all sorts of things, but um, I, I believe trade with China is a good idea. It's just I don't like trading technology that we've worked hard for, and they seem to steal. Um, so I, I don't know. Let's get, get um, our guest thoughts on some of these topics of China. Can they be trusted? Can they not? Um General Spaulding was indicating that they really do want to do world domination through many avenues. So I, you know, what's 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 your thoughts on on China? What what I just brought up? Yeah, uh, thank you for the question. Um, I'm actually originally from California myself, so you're you're speaking to another Californian. Um, yeah, I've expressed my, you know, my viewpoint on, on China already. Um, I, I'm not familiar with with the um, with the gentleman you're bringing up, Mr. Spalding. Um, but uh, yeah, I think Chinese history is something important to take into account, um, and it's true. China has never actually um, been an imperial force that has tried to take over other countries. In fact, it would be much more stupid today, um, given that there's a nuclear superiority um, and its fellow neighboring superpowers. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. Your logic on, you know, why would they release it on their own people, et cetera. Um, there's also many others who, who have pointed that out as well. Um, but 
I guess to, I mean, to, to address the, the intellectual property question and trade, um, these are very important. Um, the intellectual property is something which I think gets, gets spun uh, in the same way that this Wuhan thing is being spun. Um, there are companies in China who have, you know, taken intellectual property, you know, certain copyrighted well, I, things, I branded it. things. I, well, actually, actually, I was listening to a reporter, an investigative reporter that was communicating the the top, as far as corporate espionage, mm-hmm. and stealing from American corporations. Without a question, the Chinese are number one. And uh, it's like 80 to 90% of the cases for other nations infiltrating our corporations and, and stealing uh, intellectual property, 80 to 90%, if I remember right, 80 per, to 90% of the arrests and convictions are Chinese. So I, that's just a real, I mean, if you have different sources, that'd be interesting to find out but you know, yeah I'm sorry you said 80, 80 to 90 percent of, of what 80 to 90 percent of the corporate espionage cases that the FBI has to arrest as in other countries coming in working for corporations stealing things mm-hmm. 80 to 90 percent are the Chinese doing this to us oh okay and I've had other, <clears throat> I've filed a couple patents, and one of talked to other patent guys, and they said, you know, <clears throat> we don't have an agreement with the Chinese, and they look up on our U.S. patent website, they steal it, back engineer it, manufacture it, and sell it to us. And this was like ten years ago that I'm hearing this. Mm-hmm. So as far as you know, I think Trump was trying to put the, the, the screws down on on China. Stop stealing our technology. And even Brigadier General, um, get his name up again here. Uh, Brigadier General Spalding, Robert Spalding, he was indicating that we need 5G because they're tapping into our 5G. The ZTE phones had chips, and they were getting sold here real cheap, but the ZTE phone had, uh, and I read this report. Um, there was a chip in it, but the phones were manufactured in China. They had a chip on, in it that they could spy on us. So I, you know, I, I yeah, I'll just shut up here. But okay, yeah, no, I see, I see what you're saying. Um, well, if the FBI's done it, um, I mean, I wouldn't trust the FBI as far as you can throw it. But there are good people doing good work within the FBI. Um, but yeah, I would look into everything. Um, I've I've heard a lot of these things for a number of years. Um, the majority of it has been allegations. There are problems with individual companies stealing things, um, but they make it look like this is a Chinese government policy to do this. Um, I haven't seen any evidence case. Um, you say that Trump has tried to put the screws down on some of this stuff, which is true, and it's good. Um, in fact, the Chinese have put the screw da- screws down on some of this as well. Um, you know, same thing with uh, some of these laboratories that were producing fentanyl, which were killing Americans. Trump brought it up to Xi Jinping, um, and very quickly um, they 
deployed to actually stop a lot of these things. But yeah, you know what the Chinese have done in the past actually is is they've bought, for example, French, Japanese, German high-speed trains, um, which is totally legal. Um, and what they've done is they've taken them apart and re-engineered them and then created their own trains, but actually better. Um, now, that's not illegal. That's obviously different than what you're discussing, which would be a real concern. Um, but, you know, the Chinese have uh, also made genuine advancements um, in their space program. Um, so that's something which has not been stolen, but has actually been advanced. But, you know, that's what I would say is that a lot of this stuff has been allegations. I'm not an expert on it, um, but I have looked at a lot of the coverage. And the general point that I would make is that they make it look like it's a it's a top-down policy, which is, you know, easy to convince people of when they think it's a communist dictatorship and Xi Jinping runs every aspect of the economy, um, which is actually not true either. But um, anyway, I hope that answers your question. Well, I, I, think I think to be fair to the Chinese government, the government may not be sanctioning the harvesting of technology in America. The government may not be, and maybe the government didn't know about it. Um, maybe it was just the individuals and individual corporations. Uh, individual crimes versus government crimes. So I think, yeah, discerning between the two is very helpful. Yeah, and and also, you know, under who these these investigations were made. Um, the current head of the FBI, um, I forget his name, uh, Mr. Ray, um, also was responsible for carrying out a kind of witch hunt against Chinese scientists, um, against Chinese students, shutting down Confucius Institutes, claiming that these were uh, spies for the uh, for the Chinese government with absolutely no evidence whatsoever. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, but anyways, you can you can look that up. But you know, there's always a political aspect to these things, particularly when you when you look at the FBI. I mean, I could point you no further than their role in RussiaGate. Huh? Interesting. Yeah, which we do have a, an update later on in the show on that. But yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, no, that's that's um, yeah, no, that's all I wanted to say. Okay, and then uh, let's go ahead. And I'll bring in Joseph because I know we've got uh, just a short time, about fifteen minutes that uh, you'll be able to stay on. I'm, we'll get his comments. I might be able to get to that one article. Get your take on that. If not, uh, we'll get to that, folks. And looks like uh, Joe has not been able to rejoin us, so we'll bring it back to Joseph <laughs> to get uh, get in. So, uh, just uh, just if you have any other comments or questions, um, you. Uh, anything else we we discussed that you were back on? Absolutely. So, you know, to be honest, there is a lot of uh, different uh, contradictory reports and information coming out, some saying that the virus was originated at the lab. Some say that it was spread through, uh, you know, one of the markets in Wuhan. Um, You know, there's a lot of, information coming out and it, it kind of makes your head spin because you don't know you know what's true and what's not true and there's just a plethora of information coming out if there's just one or two sources coming out that kind of be easier to uh do some uh heavy research on that but at this point one thing the world knows is uh china is enemy number one 
one thing the world knows is whether it was intended or not intended, I don't have the answers to that. I think most people don't. They'll, they could speculate on it or they could have a theory on it. Whether it was intended to knock down the global economy, I don't know. And like many people, I don't care because I'm at the point where it's still not going to get them out of the box of they hid the numbers, they hid the stats, they hid what was going on to the world, to the rest of the global community, accountable for. And for many decades, you had a lot of allies of China and people even in the West, you know, saying that our conflict with China is has always been between the United States and China. But now the world knows that that's not the case. They've seen Chinese, uh, China's true colors. And let me tell you something, the rest of the world that is suffering with this because of China, hiding the numbers, hiding the data, making the whistleblowers who wanted to make the world know what was going on disappear off the face of the map, they know that they are complicit, that this is on them. And there is a reckoning that's going to have to be paid. And this is a wake-up call to the rest of the global community. So now the rest of the global community can see what we have been seeing for over 40, 50, 60 years, that China has never been our ally. They have always been our enemy. And yes, uh, Hector does bring up valid points about, you know, regimes. Uh, you know, one, uh, the United States has failed miserably uh, regarding regime change. Every time we have ever tried to intervene or not intervene on behalf of a, a, a regime change in a country, We've either wind up doing more harm than good or no good whatsoever. And, and there are many examples, such as, you know, uh, the United States government supported Fidel Castro rise to power. Um, you know, uh, there are many other examples in, in, in regime changes in, in which they supported. Um, they supported uh, Mubarak's, uh, you know, um, regime to power when he came to power over 40 years ago. Um, regime change in a lot of ways. Um, so at this point, you know, how can I say? I really don't care what was the intention or what was not the intention. What they uh, did to the global community is egregious, and it is not something that can be taken back. A lot of the damage that's done is never going to be reversed. And so now they are on the spotlight is on China. They will be held accountable for their actions. And this time we're not standing on this alone. This time you have half of the globe that is real pissed and their, their citizens are beyond themselves. And all I can say is all the facts at least validate that they knew what was going on back in December the whistleblowers tried to call it, and they disappeared off the face of the planet, which, which happens in a, in a communist regime. They could make you disappear just like that. They hid the numbers. They hid the facts. And had they not done so, whatever their intentions were, 95% of the COVID-19 could have been averted. And so right now I think there's a lot of confusion in the global community because you have other countries right now where – Knowing that China China is the culprit, they don't have the the time or the resources to focus holding them accountable at this point because they they have to focus on their own countries 
and their citizens and in, in controlling the pandemic and getting their, con- their economies going. But trust me, when this is all said and done, the United States will not, not be alone when it comes to China policy. And I think we're going to have a lot more allies when this is all said and done coming to our aid in unity and saying, China, your reign of terror ends here. You screwed with our countries. You screwed with our citizens. You cost us lives. You economy in parts that can never be repaired. China, it is your day of reckoning. And I defer back to you, Robert. And I am sure uh, you, you, know, you want to comment on that. And if we got Suzette, you'd like to make uh, some comments and questions as well. I know time's kind of running short here, though. But go ahead, uh, Hector. We'll see if we can get uh, Suzette in real quick for you. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. He's uh, he's pretty adamant. Um, well, I've, it's obvious that I disagree, um, and for all the reasons that I've already previously stated. Um, I don't know what numbers you're referring to that they've that they've covered up, um, but these are these are absolute lies. Um, the majority of the reason why people are dying in the United States, the Chinese did not force us to disinvest in our infrastructure. They did not force us to decouple the dollar from the gold reserve standard, which was the Bretton Woods standard. Um, they didn't force us to take down our hospitals to consolidate them and merge them and put them on, on a for-profit system, which put a lot of the pressure on smaller community hospitals to basically shut down um, because of investors' demand. Um, our capability to actually keep people alive in this period that was not mandated by China. That was U.S. policy. And no, that's what Trump said. He said, look, I don't blame China. They've gone through hell and they've done, uh, and they've done an incredible job in their country. Every country's made mistakes in this. Um, I mean, you'd have, to, you'd have to be more clear in terms of what China exactly did to cover this up. Um, but I honestly, uh, I honestly don't buy it. I can think of one, maybe two countries really only one country besides China who actually uh, was prepared for this uh, and who acted quickly, which was South Korea. Um, South Korea's hospital bed number per capita is quite incredible. Um, China's is at four and a half beds per capita. Um, That was the old Hilburton standard under the United States, which we learned from medical delivery in World War II. We actually applied this standard to civilian delivery. We would have hospitals open even if they didn't make a profit. Even if they didn't make a profit. Why? Because we knew that things like this would occur in the future and we needed the excess capacity. So we used to have four and a half beds. In fact, we had just achieved that level in in the early 1970s when the HMO system took over, collapsed to about two and a half beds per capita. In some places like Washington, it's about two beds. In some places, even less than that. There's many counties where hospitals don't exist. So could there have things that that have been done in China that were better? Yeah, absolutely. Did the WHO make mistakes? Yeah, absolutely. Did Trump make mistakes? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people made mistakes. Much of Western Europe was insane on this policy. Um, one One of the German health ministers was saying that, oh, we're fine. This won't, this won't come to Germany. Um, the British were saying, 
we'll just have herd immunity. We'll just let the virus run its course. I mean, just complete insanity carried out. And this is a result of the economic and financial policies adopted by the West, where we disinvested in our infrastructure and medical delivery capability. The Chinese didn't hack into our computers or give us subliminal messages or try to convince us somehow that that was a great idea. That was Wall Street that did that. That was the great, the great lords of finance and the new information society in the West that said, oh, we'll just be an ideas economy. We don't need all this overcapacity. We're going we're gonna to take all that capacity down. That's why people are dying in the United States. And one quick thing, and then I'll get Suzette in before uh, our, our time clicks down. Now we we got an hour and a half left for the show. But um, one thing that I've been hearing, and, and maybe you and I can talk about this off the show because I didn't want to get uh, Suzette in, is I heard that another sure. uh, nation, country, uh, whatever people want to designate it, I, I call it a country, and that's Taiwan, uh, and now how they were doing, you know, really good things. Uh, there and, and their reaction uh, to the coronavirus or actions to the coronavirus, but the WHO, uh, and again, this, this you know I'm not don't know whether it's true or not. Just just think to hear is that and the reason why that wasn't uh, being promoted by the WHO is because China said, hey, because of the situation uh, with China and Taiwan, they they wouldn't even let them even talk about it. I mean, there I now I did see an interview. And I'm going to find it. It's probably still out there. But I did see an interview where the head of the WHO was asked by um, a Taiwanese reporter about, you know, basically he shut down his Skype, the, the Skype interview, and acted like he it was a bad connection or something. Anytime they try to bring up Taiwan, which I said, I, you know, again, that's something that man, you could talk off off the show. But that is something I, I that made me say, hmm, uh, when I did see that. But let's go ahead and bring it to that real quick. We do have only a few moments left. Sure. Again, you're you're welcome to stay as long as you can. But I know uh, you guys, you know, to get up tomorrow for for things as well. But thank you very much, Suzette, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Thank you for answering my call. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> good. 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 Uh, Mr. Villaria, hello. Welcome back. Uh, I have to say that you are absolutely correct about where the blame should be placed. People want to say China should be held responsible. China has, let's say you believe in the theory, because for me, I haven't set any direction as far as where the virus originated and for what reason, if there is a reason or if it was by accident, because we just don't know. We can speculate all day long, but that doesn't make it true. So for me, I'm still on the fence about that. But let's just say um, that it was the wet markets that came out of the wet markets. We had the N1H1 that came out, the SARS, uh, maybe they might be the same thing, I'm not sure. But nevertheless, we know that the wet markets are, you know, a hotbed for bacteria and for viruses to come out of. It's just a fact. And China knows this because SARS, N1H1, and now we have the COVID-19. And so, okay, let's say it accidentally got, you know, out because of the transmission, community transmission from the original person person in the wet market. All right. And that person touched another person, that person touched another person, and it got here to the U.S. The U.S. has 50 states. They're each sovereign. They each need to prepare for their own emergencies. 
the federal government, as we know, is only supposed to be like a backup if the states have exhausted all resources and have nothing left to fall back on. But it didn't go that way this time. So people were blaming Trump administration for not getting them what they needed when they should have been prepared on their own. That goes for their economy as well. If they're losing revenue because people aren't at work, well, then, Governor, you need to deal with it. Those are your people. Don't look around. You got to need to worry about the people in front of you. And you didn't do a very good job preparing for any type of pandemic or any type of natural disaster because these states are constantly with the tornadoes and earthquakes. And this is not to say that the people in those states are at fault or should suffer. They should have none of that if their governor was doing the right thing, if their legislature was doing the right thing and thinking about the people in those states. So while we can blame China for that virus coming out, we should know better that there are going to be viruses coming out of there since the SARS and the N1H1. And why didn't these states prepare? What did they think, that it was never going to reach their state? Apparently so. They were too busy lining their pockets. I don't know. But their roads are falling apart. They don't have enough hospitals. They don't have enough equipment for their people. Their people that are actually tending to the sick, they're becoming sick. I've been lucky. I haven't been sick. So, yes, Mr. Villarreal is absolutely correct in laying the blame for the people dying so far here in the United States. It's the states, the governors in each and every one of the 50 states and territories who lost loved ones. It's their fault, their government. Now, getting back to China, if I may. Um, I have to disagree with you about the whole um, China position. I mean, they've been a communist party, you know, since the beginning of time. They, you know, as far as their dealings with the Tibetan people, what they've done with them, we've got Tiananmen Square. And yes, okay, Xi Jinping is the new president, but he made himself president forever. <laughs> he has a surveillance state. Um, you know, as far as his practices go, that's Communist Party all day long, but he has a capitalistic uh, economy, so he's trying to have the best of both worlds. Unfortunately, as far as China and they're trying to reach uh, as far as the, the world leader uh, economy or just Big Joe you know, type person, um, they're not going to get there because they shot themselves in the foot when they put their one-child policy forward because they have an aging society. An aging society is not a good trade partner for anybody because all they can do is export because they don't have anybody consuming anything. You need a trade partner. A good trade partner or ally would be somebody that, that um, consumes. You want them to buy your products. And so as far as China goes, you know, their trading, um, I don't know what you want to leverage, is slipping away. Uh, very quickly, and that's unfortunate. And it's unfortunate that the Chinese people who have nothing to do with their leaders um, have to, you know, live under them. And that's unfortunate. You know, the Chinese people, I know Chinese people, some Chinese people, descendants and so forth, they're good people. And, you know, they don't deserve what they've gotten under Xi Jinping. And while he's opened up their economy, yes, and their lives have gotten better, it's a trade-off. 
you can have a good life and be able to buy what you want, but your freedom is so limited. I know where you are at every moment of every hour of every minute of every day. So I just wanted to say that <laughs> I'm, I'm finished. And um, did you want to respond on that, uh, Hector? Or do you have time to do that? Um, yeah, sure. No, I don't have much to say. Um, I, I appreciate your viewpoint. Um, yeah, obviously we don't agree on everything, but um, um, yeah, it's obviously a, a very nuanced, um, uh, you know, developed view on China. Um, and yeah, you know, it's it's ironic. Um, we also have a surveillance state. Um, in fact, we have the biggest surveillance state. I think this is actually the reason why um, China has tried to keep uh, American tech companies out in the past, like Google and Facebook, and instead created their own. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, you could. It's funny you could say the same thing about the United States. In fact, we spy on basically every country on the planet yeah. where we have a geopolitical interest. Um, but no, you're right about the, uh, the wet markets. This is a real remnant of China's past. Um, the Western part of China, anything outside of the major, shit, major cities like Beijing and Shanghai and the East side, which largely benefited financially from these free trade policies, anything out West was, um, was really just, just very underdeveloped. Um, and China took a deliberate policy um, to actually lift these people up out of poverty. Um, I mean, sure. what I said earlier about them bringing 800 million people out of poverty, that's not hyperbole. There are 800 no. million people in the last 20 to 30 years that have been brought above the uh, international poverty line. So obviously it's a different standard. And I standard agreed with you. Than, mm-hmm. Right, right. Um, so, but it was a trade-off for liberty, sir. And while you bring yeah, up I mean, the United I, States, we're focusing on China, and I don't mean to be rude, so please, I, I apologize if I, no, if I sound no, no, rude, but I'm just trying to, I, what I want to say is that when a question is asked about China, you automatically refer to the United States as similar, um, whatever it is, issue uh, or problem. Mm-hmm. And, and while I can appreciate that the United States has many, many, many faults, so many faults, it's disgusting, and it hasn't been a constitutional republic for, you know, decades and decades. And so, you know, I'm not in denial about our country. We go and we're big bullies and we take over, you know, countries just because we want their resources. And that's, that's just who we are. And that's unfortunate. And I would like that to change. But when we talk about China, I want to stay focused on China and get your perspective. And I understand when you don't know something about China, I appreciate the fact that you do say you know, I'm not. I won't speak to that because I'm not familiar with that. So, you know, I do appreciate and respect that very much. Um, but again, um, China itself, you know, if you're going to defend them as you have so far this evening, mm-hmm. um, I, it would be better to also recognize that they do have, you know. Faults that limited make them not such a good out. Yeah, limited freedom. Just the, the you know their combined past with today. We know how Xi Jinping was raised, you know, and what happened with his father, and his tendencies that he leans towards today, and the things that he disguises, just like the United States does, and other countries. But you know, the United States seems to be a big one, as 
And so Xi Jinping may be even taking his uh, lead from us as far as the whole secrecy and doing things, but um, under the sheet covers, you know, while he's giving you fortune cookies and tea. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, I'm, so. you, you, yeah, I mean, you said you said quite a bit, so I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to work through through what you've said. Um, so, um, yeah, let me just speak on the one-child policy and um, this idea of a surveillance state. Uh, I'm not sure what you're referring to to uh, Xi Jinping's background uh, or his father. Um, I'm not super familiar with his past. I know that his father was a leader in one of the southern states. Um, and that Xi Jinping himself was a, a governor of one of the states. Um, but anyways, if, if you have something to, to speak on that, if you can elaborate on that a little bit. Well, it's, yeah, I think it would be kind of important to know that if you're going to defend the country that has a president that's made himself president forever. <laughs> but getting back to Xi Jinping, and that wasn't, that wasn't a cheap shot or anything. It's just something, if you're going to defend something, you should know something about that something. It, you know, it just makes sense. Um, what happened with Xi Jinping is Xi Jinping's father had worked for Mao. He was actually one of his right-hand guys. But then he had read a book that Mao disagreed with. He didn't like he, yeah, he didn't like the book or what the book was teaching or you know had to say. And so he demoted his father. And mm. so you had uh, Xi Jinping, who had seen this but was allowed to be able to go to one of the, the elite schools uh, because of his father's position in the China government under Mao. And so he was able to go to one of these elite schools, a smart kid school. I forget what it's called right now. Um, but he was able to attend that school. And he, in order to um, show Mao that um, his loyalty, he became one of the reddest communists, you know, as a child growing up, as far as defending and working for um, that administration. And so he basically was taken under wing by Mao. And so while he has a lot uh, of- I'm sorry, you know, are, you, are, you, you, talking, are you still talking about Xi Jinping's father or Xi Jinping? Cause... Xi Jinping and, uh, was under, I'm sorry, yeah, basically under uh, the, oh gosh, what was the other president's name that had, I just had it. <laughs> Ah, okay. So you had Mao, you had his father, then you had Xi Jinping who was raised. His father was demoted, so Xi Jinping had gone to the school. Then he was in that uh, administration as far as admiring, um, you know, the whole Mao dynasty and then that thereafter that followed. But Xi Jinping, when he took power, they were concerned. Um, some of pe some people were concerned that he was going to continue that down that road because during the time that um, Mao, um, oh not, oh gosh, what's his name? Okay, so President Xi Jinping, when he was nine years old, and um, his father being the vice, what do you call it, premier of China. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that falling out had happened. It was 1962, and this is according to the official autobiography of Xi Jinping. Um, Xi Jinping uh, was accused of supporting a novel that Mao opposed, and Xi Jinping was Xi Jinping's father. So he stripped him of his titles, demoted, and sent to work in the factory. And his wife, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name, but her last name is Jin, uh, was forced to do hard labor on the farm. So six years later, 
you had a younger G, and he was among menu, uh, millions of intellectual youth who were sent to the countryside for a re-education during Mao's cultural revolution. And right. that, okay. Okay, so he sought to purge the impure elements of the Chinese society and preserve the communist uh, ideology through that um, education. So she worked as an agricultural agricultural laborist, um, and he was in Liang Xi, Hai He, I think, a remote village, you know, somewhere in China, impoverished, impoverished, and all that. So the experience mm-hmm. was, um, by the most important of accounts, unpleasant. He spent six years there cutting hay, reaping wheat and whatever else they do, sheep herding and the like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's reading books at nighttime by a kerosene lamp and enduring the harassment of fleas and stuff like that. And, um, but that didn't, you know, as far as make him mad, as far as the Communist Party did this to me. Nope. He went hardcore the other way. <laughs> and um, according to a leaked U.S. Uh, embassy cable, that was put in his autobiography. Um, even his father languished in one of Mao's prisons. She joined the Communist Party in 1974 and rose rapidly through the party ranks to become president of China in 2013. And then thereafter, you know, crowning himself president forever. So while he's doing good for his people, it comes right. with a cost. Right. So while it may not be direct Communist Party policies, um, there is an advantage point by making yourself, you know, king forever. Um, if you cared <laughs> right. about your people, <laughs> you would, you would give them the freedom to choose. So I, I you know, I, I just want to be careful when we deal with China. I, I know that for when we talk about the, um, the secrets that they're, you know, taking from the United States and. When we refer to that, when, when people talk about that, and, and in my case anyway, I can just speak for myself, I refer to the intellectual property that makes Chinese products, the uh, fake you know, Gucci, the fake uh, you know, other designer clothing well, real, or real quick, real technology. Because okay. I want to I get a little back, get back and forth um, with conversation, and it sounds <laughs> like, at least to me, it's, it's starting a new topic kind. Uh, oh, sorry, a conversation sorry. with the intellectual. No, 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 that's okay with the intellectual property. But I want to see. And again, he, he stayed longer than what uh, we we first talked about. And I really, really appreciate that, uh, actor. I really do. Um, so I want to give you the opportunity yeah, no, no, no to, problem. if you want to, you know, speak on that because you know, the, the thing with the intellectual property, we kind of touched that earlier. Um, maybe that could be for you know tonight or even another show. But. Um, want to be give you the opportunity to, to speak on what the other that part, the other part that you were talking about prior to uh talk about the intellectual property go ahead okay yeah sure no um yeah I, I appreciate your your statements um i appreciate when anybody does um you know a little bit of homework on some of these leaders most people don't they just take what the the media says and runs with it at face value um yeah i would actually invite people to um read about xi jinping in fact one of the best ways to do this is to um, read the man's own words. Um, he actually has, there are actually books out there with compiled uh, speeches, speeches from throughout Xi Jinping's uh, career. And I have studied Mao. I studied Mao's tactics and his political policy. Um, and just given the fact that 
yeah, Xi Jinping takes more of a quote-unquote capitalist approach, I would say industrial capitalist, mm-hmm. um, and and also a scientific approach and a Confucian approach. I would actually say it's very much very much opposed philosophically to the po- to the policy of Mao. Um, but anyways, I, I appreciate you doing you know people who do that that kind of background. I think that's I think that's important. But just the the one one chapter of somebody's life, I don't think spells the entirety of, um, you know, an individual's character um, because China has changed dramatically in this period. Um, they changed dem- dramatically from when Mao Zedong was killed and the gang of four was basically locked up and Deng Xiaoping took over. Mm-hmm. Um, and the policy has changed over the course of the 80s and 90s and the 2000s. In fact, the Chinese policy has changed dramatically under Xi Jinping. Um, obviously, one of the things you brought up is the... Uh, president for life thing. I think Trump actually joked about that as well. And the media was took him a little bit too seriously. Um, oh, I'm sure that they probably went bananas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah they, yeah, they had a field day on that one. Actually, one of the American founders was actually for this policy. The president for life. It didn't, it didn't go, mm-hmm. it didn't, you know, it didn't go to that extent. Um, but mm-hmm. we didn't impose, we didn't impose um, term limits on presidents. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt was elected four times. Mm-hmm. So a president could actually technically in America serve for a lifetime if they wanted to. Obviously there was restrictions on this. You know, if a president made a legal action, he could be impeached. But you wanted to have a president that could stay in power for extended periods of time. Sure, maybe not like his whole lifetime, but could stay in for uh, two, three, four terms because it takes a long time to build up the country and to carry out policies. Obviously, if you have a culture in a country where you're cultivating new leaders um, and your country is unified around a mission, then you don't have to do that. Then other people can can emerge um, and carry on carry on the legacy. But I know that people um, um, would like to see term limits for for congressmen and senators and presidents and all this stuff, you know, because everyone's corrupt. Um, but I think. I think in order to address that, you would have to go deeper than just a term limit. You would have to go towards the mind state. Um, really, of you really have to question what the culture is. Um, but yeah, no, I I would take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt. Um, I I would you know I would welcome debate. You know, if you want to bring up certain things that you know the Chinese have been limited in terms of their freedoms, but. Um, the Chinese do have upward mobility. They can start businesses. 80% of their GDP comes from private businesses, not state-owned businesses. Uh, and China does make those funds for people who want to do that easily available. Um, and they're carrying out very, very aggressive programs, especially in the, the farming communities and the outliers of the country, because a lot of the people there have a peasant mentality. They don't have this kind of entrepreneurial spirit that we in America are so used to. So the Chinese government has various programs. You guys can look at this, um, but to educate people on what they can do to start their own businesses and not just be dependent on some, you know, some small income or something, but actually increase wealth. Um, But you should look at Xi Jinping's career in his state. Um, he was responsible for development in his state, and it was quite successful. Um, on China's one 
child policy. Um, we attacked that as soon as they implemented it, and I think they realized at a certain point that it was a mistake for the reasons that you've stated plus others. And um, under Hold Xi Jinping, on, that was second, actually – There's some background noise. I'm, I'm sorry, Hector. There's some background noise. There was some, someone's mic. If they can mute that, that'd be great. Go ahead, Hector. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no worries. Um, yeah, and the, the one-child policy was, was actually reversed under Xi Jinping. So, um, yeah, we're not – my argument here is not to say that China is um, some, perfect, um, some perfect state which we should all aspire to. Um, our point, um, our political action committee uh, is proposing uh, a new uh, financial architecture which respects the sovereignty of all nations. Um, and in which uh, credit, that is, loans, are made towards the kind of development that we need in the United States. Uh, this pandemic is not going to be just defeated in one country or the world's major powers. I think um, that's a huge misconception, which I think people maybe, maybe still have. But this virus is going to travel to the Southern Hemisphere, to Ibero-America, to Africa, you know, continent of Africa is huge, um, to South Asia, to the Middle East. Um, like the Spanish flu, it will travel south. It will perhaps mutate to an even deadlier form, and it will come back. So we're not looking at just a short-term phenomenon. We have to think, I think, a little bit longer in the future. And in order to do that, we have to find allies. Right now, our supposed allies are, you know, Who's our allies? The UK, Western Europe, those are our allies. Uh, Saudi Arabia, that's an ally. What have they done to help defeat this crisis? Then ask yourself, what have Russia and China done? Trump has worked out this air bridge deal, and there's practically on a daily basis planes coming in from Russia and China bringing in medical equipment. In fact, China's helping over 80 countries um, in terms of medical equipment, uh, and in some countries like Italy and others, medical personnel, um, we're going to have to think about doing this for the developing world. In fact, we're going to have to think about um, why is it that the world has been kept in such an underdeveloped state and address those problems on a global scale. Um, so, yeah, what China is doing in its own country, we should do. We should have an internal development program for infrastructure, industry, a, a crash fusion program and space. Um, and we should create a financial architecture which directs credit towards those purposes um, because we have to eliminate these petri dishes. Um, like you mentioned, the wet markets, this is a remnant of the peasant countryside in China. Um, this is, you know, other, there's, 2 billion people on the planet who practically don't have access to clean water. Um, they have conditions like this in India, in Africa, in Ibero-America, and that has, to be, that has to be addressed as well. So we can have a... Sorry? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no. So I think we have to have an international mobilization to, to deal with these things. Um, and we've provided, we've provided a kind of framework for this. Um, and it requires a collaboration, uh, at the very least, of the United States, Russia, China, Western Europe, Japan, um, in order to, to really deal with this. So there's a real danger here that this kind of, these remnants of the geopolitical order, the attacks against Russia and China in particular, which have really become a roadblock for the United States to collaborate with the rest of the world. 
Um, and that, I would argue, would result in many, many deaths, not just in the United hey. States, but more so in the developing world. Hey, Hector. Yeah. Hector. Yeah. You know, I'm starting to like I'm starting to like uh, many of the things you're saying, and we cannot impute upon Xi Jinping what Mao was doing. He has a different form of government. Yes, he's an emperor, and they tried in the late 1800s to like 1920s to have a similar to Great Britain and America, a democracy. Now we can't necessarily expect them to do that, but if a man has has elevated people out of the poverty level. Okay, that's actually a good thing. It depends on how he does it. If he's stealing our technology, that's or not him, but other Chinese are stealing our technology. That's a problem. But if he is mm-hmm. finding way to elevate his people out of poverty, that's a good thing. Because and trade, trade is is typically always good with other nations, because when you're trading and everybody's prospering, there's a less chance of war. Yeah, and he was yeah, and he was talking about actually you you and I were talking about that off air um uh tonight and uh yeah, so that's that's a good point you uh, you brought up there. Go ahead. Well then then also I mean just, just the idea of trade and elevating people in their individual countries, I can see the Rouge Pack is working for that. I've been on some of the Thursday calls and some really good uh communications there. But Gigi, oh, great. Gigi Ping, yeah, and studying and watching a number of videos about China, and I got to watch more. You know, you have different different emperors at different times, different um, the dynasties, and the the king's son or the emperor's son becomes emperor, and then you try this, and the and the military generals were the were the uh, emperor. They somewhat had a parliament for a while. All sorts of different attempts they've done, and. Uh, but you watch the history of it, you can recognize that Xi Jinping is not the same type of dictator as um, Mao was, and he's making improvements. I'd, I'd like to know more about the man and his political beliefs. You have brought me there to be curious enough to to kind of research this and find out more. And one of the things, real quick, Kelly, and I appreciate it, cause we only got about six minutes to the. Um, so we, we, if, if someone hangs up, we won't be able to get them back on the show. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about uh, Asia. And, uh, and I actually stayed on, you know, longer than what you, you stayed on. I really appreciate that, uh, certainly. So I want to bring it over to you. We do have, you know, still more callers, but if you've got to go, I, I get that. Now, we've got a guy uh, on the line. He calls us pretty frequently, Mike from uh, Singapore. Uh, I didn't know if he would be somebody you'd be you'd want to talk to if you had time, or if you got to go, we understand that as well. But I do want to open up that opportunity for you if you if you do need to go. Um, but if you'd like to speak with our friend Mike in Singapore, we'll we'll bring him on the line for you. Um, yeah, wow, Singapore, sure. How can I refuse that? Um, <laughs> what's a few more minutes? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Let's take uh, let's take one more call. Um, this has been fun so far, and I think. Uh, Productive, so sure. Great, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mike. Are you still, you're there with us. Yes, sir. I appreciate you. Yes, indeed. You know, uh, no, you're welcome. First of all, the show. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. You know, in Singapore, uh, we have everything is broken down. I would like to ask you, everybody, 
please go to www.gov.sg. So that's our Singapore uh, uh, government, and everything you want is over here for us, from defense to, I mean, everything from uh, COVID-19, from, I mean, they break it down for us very clearly. I mean, they will tell us how many people are, uh, have, have had it so far. It's 1,496. Uh, and hospitalized 1,470. Hospitalized critical is 26. Discharge to isolation, 1,540. Discharge 652. Total death 10. I would like to ask your guests, why United States government doesn't put uh, in their website a similar uh, exactly say how many uh, we have right now over 600,000 uh, people, uh, you know, have uh, active cases. So why they don't say how many have been hospitalized under a stable, how many people are hospitalized critical, and how many discharged to isolation, and how many people just discharged 100%, and how many are total dead? We have a confusing numbers in our beloved America. Go ahead, please. Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I, I didn't know that they didn't do that. Um, I was aware that they were reporting figures, but perhaps they're not in the detailed manner that you're describing, which is um, according to severity and um, and um, you know, how many people have been recovered? Is that, is that what you're asking? Why the government doesn't exactly. provide those yes, statistics? Sir, yes, yes. So, so people, we, we can understand, and people of uh, United States of America, we all together, we can understand because, yes, they tell us, uh, they tell uh, everyone, please stay home. But the question is, we need a real good figure so we can understand it better. Maybe we can follow it betterly, or maybe, you know, then we can say, oh, it's a hoax. We can, like, like today, as you know, the news in Detroit, Michigan, Houston, and a few other states, uh, there have been masses going out into the uh, government offices uh, and demanding that, you know, uh, let's open up. There is nothing wrong. Do you know, do you know the misunderstanding? If there is a misunderstanding between the Americans, then it will cost everybody a high price. Go ahead, go ahead sir. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of the um... – the the daily press briefings that we have in the United States, if you can if you can access those. But uh, Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks um, daily go through the figures. I, I don't know that they go through them in that kind of a detail, um, but they do show um, you know infection rates and death rates. And as they've gone through recently, that the death rates typically tend to follow you know the hospitalization and infection rates and this sort of thing. But I think part of the problem is that we we've just um, 
we don't have the, the testing. You know, there's a lot that we do not know um, for various reasons, I'm sure. Um, I think that the one of the last significant things I've heard about this from Dr. Burks was in the last few days, maybe late last week, that they were um, having a federal top-down effort to go through the untapped resources in each individual state because there were many labs that, for some reason, governors didn't know were available um, in order to create tests. So they were, their, their whole point was to create an increase by orders of magnitude in terms of the testing capability. So, I mean, I don't know. All I can say is we're a big country. We have a lot of people. We have some places a lot of people spread out. Um, and we don't have a great testing capability, but obviously the more we test, I mean, obviously we can, we can take the numbers um, as people come in and people are, you know, um, you know, track the status of patients and, and things like that. But you also have to take into account that um, it's not just hospital beds and masks and protective gear that we're, on, that we're short on. It's also, it's also medical staff that we're very short on. Um, and so in the frenzy of places where you have a lot, you know, hotspots, um, where places are close to capacity or overfilled or you have an understaffed and people overworked and tired, I, I can see that it's very difficult to keep good numbers. I can see that as something that maybe may not take an immediate priority to caring for patients. So, um, yeah, I'm not completely sure. I wasn't aware that those stats are not available on government websites. I mean, I would I'm be rather surprised if that that were true. Um, but yeah, no, that's a good that's a good question. Uh, yes, and I want to ask you one question also about uh, in Taiwan and in uh, Asian country like uh, uh, you know South Korea uh, came out of it uh, uh, good but they tested every uh, one of their citizens. And also China, they tested every one of their citizens. They know who has it, who doesn't have it. And, and, mm -hmm. and according you know, to the China, then they put them in isolation, uh, discharge to isolation or discharge completely. So they have all those figures in their data system. A, a, a government of China, which is one point, uh, three billion people, and uh, I mean, why can't we make a model of Taiwan or uh, South Korea? What they work for them, we follow their program, they follow their guideline, or bring their uh, head of the uh, CDC over here and say, hey, teach us what, I mean, let us know what we can do, but we can do better. I mean, go ahead, please. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, uh, South Korea did an excellent job. I, I wasn't too familiar with how Taiwan handled it, um, but uh, I'm sure they're capable. Um, but yeah, China took absolutely strict measures, draconian measures, um, to not just um, not just have people quarantine or shelter in place, but actually separate people within families. Um, that were tested positive and they'd have these fever clinics. Um, and so, you know, certain members of a family who were infected did not stay home to infect the rest of their family. They were separated out 
and put in these fever clinics. And yeah, absolutely. They, they, they tested as, as many people um, as they were, were able to. And I, you know, I think Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks have reiterated that point many times, but yeah, absolutely. That's the kind of measures that we want to be able to take. Um, But we should go even a step further. You know, we should try to take up a science driver mission to, um, to understand how viruses work. We don't actually understand how viruses work. There's a lot of interesting things about virus, including their uh, correlation with solar cycles and other kinds of cosmic activity. Uh, I mean, we know that on the basic level, the flu is a seasonal phenomenon, um, but I think there's more to it than that. Um, one of my colleagues, Megan Beats, did a presentation on some of the interesting features of viruses, which is that they've actually been responsible for um, evolution. They've been res- they, they make up a part of our DNA. Um, she said they're even responsible for our ability to metabolize certain foods. I mean, just very interesting stuff. So, yeah, I mean, just having the ability to test and having material equipment to protect your your um, your medical workforce. I mean, this is just very 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 basic stuff. The idea that the richest, most powerful country on the planet can't produce its own equipment is, um, I don't think people 50 years ago would be able to fathom that in the United States. Um, I don't know if I answered your question, but <laughs> let me know I did. Yes, yes. No, absolutely. I mean, you covered it. I mean, okay. uh, you know, when Chinese own Smithfield Foods uh, shutters two more meat processing plants in Missouri and Wisconsin after coronavirus closed South Dakota factories, uh, threatening the food supply chain in whole United States of America. I mean, once we have seen this, I mean, it's, it's like China is not bringing down uh, uh, us down. I mean, not uh, because because they have a coronavirus, so they cannot process it, the food. So we have a, a, a big problem right now here. So why, you know, why three months? We have. I mean, we had uh, what is already one month passed. Only, as you mentioned, said it correctly. Only how many? Maybe okay. We say one percent to be politically correct. You know, one percent of population been tested because they say six hundred thousand, one million, say about one million people been tested. Mm-hmm. I mean, one million out of four hundred fifty million. Uh, the new figures probably is four fifty approximately. Uh, so, I mean, that's not enough, uh, sir. Is that, do you think enough? They should test everybody, 450 million tests right away, whatever it takes, whether it's antibody test, first to know that if they have any coronavirus in their systems, and then maybe the second time, different tests until narrow it down. So we will know, we have to know uh, if Mr. Robert has it or doesn't have it. If, uh, um, you know, uh, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Or not. I agree. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. No, I, I, I agree. That's, uh, that's definitely something we should do, um, especially given you know some of the um, disconcerting features of this, which is that you know you have asymptomatic people or people who incubate for five to up to two weeks, and even after people recover, they are still um, contagious. 
you know, up to, I, I've heard, I think up to two weeks. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. That's why it's just important that we do these things. Um, and the point about the meatpacking factories shutting down, that's also, that's also a very, very real concern. Um, we've, uh, we've addressed that on some of our shows. Um, some of our people are doing, uh, quite a bit amount of organizing, um, in the states and cattle states and other states which produce food staples uh, for the country. And the situation is very dire, especially among the farmers um, because of the monopolization or the cartelization of the, the meatpacking industry, um, which is making a profit in this pandemic, but is not necessarily increasing the prices they're paying to the actual producers. So farmers who are already going bankrupt are now even in worse shape um, I think there was um, an attempt by the administration to take care of some of this, the farmers, through the CARES Act. But um, anyways, yeah, no, absolutely. Yes, yeah, and and I, I have no problem with this. I mean, I mean, we are all actually in the same page. We are in this. Go ahead, sir. Go ahead, sir, Robert. Just saying, I won't, I won't, I won't read the article. I was just going to make reference to it, um, and, and you can find the article and read it. You can uh, access it at the website www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Go to the newsroom page, and there's an article towards the bottom. It's actually in the leisure section. <laughs> it's not really leisure, but that's the section it's in. And it's uh, so staggering quantities of food are being destroyed due to coronavirus. And uh, you can find the article there. Again, I'm not going to read it now, but I mean, there is, you know, people out there talking about that. Uh, go ahead, Hector. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We've we've been covering this, and it's, uh, it's a scary situation. Um, that's why we uh, that's why we need to mobilize the country. We have to uh, reorganize our financial system. Um, we need a national banking policy like we used to have. Um, it can take the form of you know nationalizing the Federal Reserve. Um, it could take the form of a reconstruction finance corporation. It can be a, a national infrastructure bank, but something that will provide um, low interest rate loans to jumpstart the agro-industrial sector. Um, one of the unfortunate and very striking features of the CARES Act is that um, a good chunk of the money that has been going to Wall Street banks, has, even though they're backed by the Treasury, uh, are not being loaned out to small businesses, but are rather being hoarded to basically bail out hedge funds and other, um, you know, um, other other groups connected to these banks who are holding derivatives and other forms of financial paper. So this is not what the president issued this money to do, um, not for stock buybacks or. Um, for the Fed to eat up more toxic assets like they did in the past, but to actually mm -hmm. to, to go to the working class for the farmers, for the workers. So, yeah, that's all I have to say. Um, that's all I have to say on that. But well, we've issued a uh, emergency program on our website, which everybody can, can go to LarouchePAC.com. Uh, and it's basically calling for an Apollo style crash program to jumpstart the U S industrial um uh, u.s industrial production um so i i won't go through that in, in detail it's a, it's a rather lengthy piece but i i would just um ask everybody to to go to the website and uh read through it 
And, and you can can link that website. Yeah, real quick. Real quick. Real quick. Give me the LaRouche. <laughs> the LaRouche uh, personnel right now is online. Can you tell me his name, please? And we salute Lyndon LaRouche from the day one, and we miss him. I know he was uh, deceased uh, last year, but uh, we love uh, uh, Olga as well, too. Please give our uh, blessing to all the Lyndon LaRouche uh, uh, people in this. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I will do. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, and also, folks, uh, you can find you can find the link. I put the link up also here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, that's the platform uh, we have here uh, for the show, and I've got that towards the top of the description for the sh- uh, tonight's show. You have the link there to the LaRouchePack.com as well as uh, the LaRouche uh, Facebook page. So you've got a, a link there as well. You, you can access it either by typing it in as uh, Hector stated it, or you can also uh, use that link. Uh, go ahead, Hector. Great. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's called LaRouche's Apollo Mission uh, for a World Health System and the Economy. Um, so it's a three-part piece, but, yeah, it's right there on the website. And um, um, we also have a, a conference, which we had originally scheduled uh, on the East Coast um, in New Jersey, Um for April 25th and 26th, um, but obviously now it's going to be online. It's going to be an international conference. It's something we've been mobilizing as an organization to build uh, internationally, um, and we've also um, been mobilizing a lot of youth on campuses. Obviously, we haven't been able to do campus work recently, um, but we do have a lot of young people that we've met in the past from um, from setting up book tables on various campuses across the country. Um, in New York, New Jersey area, uh, here in the Midwest, on the West Coast in Texas, um, and also people from around the world that we've met um, from our European organization. Uh, We've also got members in Ibero-America, Africa, um, and the Philippines as well. So all these young people from all over the world will be on. I invite everybody to go to the website and RSVP for the conference. Um, it's actually going to be hosted by the Schiller Institute, which is our, our international uh, organization uh, headed by Mrs. Uh, Helga Zepp-LaRouche. And, um, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a, a great time. I've had fun talking to everybody, whether we agree or disagree. I think it's been very useful and for, for myself. Hopefully it's been useful for other people uh, and productive as well. Um, but, yeah, I hope to, see, hope to see folks at the conference and in the future on the Yeah, show. certainly. Yeah, send me updates. Uh, I appreciate that. Thank you, yeah, I've been to a couple of them. for joining us. And, Sorry. And, and hopefully, you know, one, one thing I like to talk off the air, and, and I know you got to get going, is um, you mentioned uh, Bill Benny and, and Megan Beats, and, and certainly if we'd be able to reach out to them and, and have them come on, I, I think I'd, uh, I'd really like that. It'd be great if we can. Yeah, yeah, hey, absolutely. Thanks for coming absolutely. on. <clears throat> thanks for coming on. Okay. I, I like uh, some of your perspectives. Thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. We can uh, we can talk more in the future. Uh, I'm sure Megan would would love to get on, um, and and uh, we'll have to we'll have to work on on Bill Benny. He's he's a busy guy, and uh, uh, but I'm sure he'd he'd love he'd love to be on. He 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 will. Uh, there's no show that the man will not the man will not do. So he's always doing something. But um, yeah, we can try to put you guys in touch. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, and I really, really appreciate you staying on, uh, you know, much longer than we, we first stated. 
uh, certainly appreciate it. And, you know, looking forward to having you and others from the LaRouche back on. And um, hopefully we'll have uh, candidate uh, Daniel Burke, who's uh, running for uh, independent, and he's been on the show a couple times. He's running for, in New Jersey for Senate for the independent LaRouche, uh, LaRouche uh, candidate. Yep. Uh, well, you take care and you be safe, and um, hopefully we'll talk soon. Great. Thank you. Same, same to you, Robert. Everybody take, take care, care and uh, have a good night. Thank you. All right. You too. Bye. Good night. Thank you, too. Be safe. Bye-bye. Yes, folks, definitely check out that website at www.larouchepack.com, uh, and you can also go there to their Facebook page. Uh, certainly appreciate uh, Hector staying on. Uh, as long as he can. I mean, stay on off of the, most, the, whole, the whole show, which, as you know, you were long-term listeners. Uh, sometimes we, we are able to get our guests to do that, so it's, that, that's great. And that's not telling to us uh, for the show, but, of course, uh, that is telling uh, on you folks out there calling in and asking questions and making comments and, you know, certainly keeping their interest, <laughs> you know, for them to come on the show. So I really appreciate uh, all of you out there and your input, you know, questions and comments with, with our guests. Uh, and, again, that just, you know, they get excited. They get motivated, like, oh, yeah, I'll stay on for a little longer. And, and again, people who've been on the show, listen to the show long term, know that uh, there's been more than uh, a, a few occasions, certainly, uh, that, that we've we've done that. <laughs> so I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, now, there was one thing I wanted to get over and get his opinion on, but we, I wanted to make sure I got everybody here. And I've kind of gotten mixed thoughts on this, especially after talking with our guest. Uh, but I do want – I mean, again, this is probably one of those shows I wish we could have done a fourth hour. And um, who knows, maybe if I <laughs> didn't have to work or if I did this for a living and made my money, I'd make another link and continue on to the show. But <laughs> unfortunately, that's not the case. But uh, this is a an article that you can get from – uh, the I believe you can get that from the the Bard's Logic, uh, and you can uh, newsroom at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, certainly check out the page. You can also subscribe to the Bard's Logic data, and I didn't tell you update it once a week, but you could get it updated, and you know let that uh, come to you. So you can do that. Of course, you could also visit the page and see the long, long list of all the different guests we've had on. Uh, uh, on the show, it may need to be able to just a little bit updated, but it's pretty up to date. Uh, but here's the article here uh, that the title is, and I, I mentioned this earlier, and then we'll uh, open up the mics for everybody. Is uh, man, I, Joe called in earlier, and I wish he could. Uh, he wasn't able to stay on for whatever reason, but hopefully we'll get him on next week. But uh, it says, Should China forgive U.S. debt? As restitution for coronavirus, Senator says. GOP Senator, while oh, GOP Senator, while bill details still undecided, support among lawmakers is growing to make China pay some form of restitution. Senator Marshall Blackburn, Republican Tennessee, is calling on China to forgive its share of U.S. debt, which says she would be a good solid step toward restitution for the loss of life and economic distress that Beijing's mishandling of coronavirus has caused America. The virus started in Wuhan, China, and was the first reported by Chinese officials in late December. Some U.S. officials and others suspect China was late to make the outbreak public and underreported the numbers. We do not know there is a growing opinion among our colleagues in China. Well, we do know, I should say. <laughs> 
there was a growing opinion among our colleagues that China needs to be, first of all, held accountable for what they've done, Blackburn said in an exclusive interview with Just the News. Uh, secondly, they need to pay for what this has cost in life and livelihood and suffering and what it has cost our economy. Wow, listen to this, folks. China holds $1.08 trillion of the U.S. national debt, according to most recent Treasury Department data. The debt held by the public is $18.2 trillion, and the total debt, including intra-government holdings, is $24.2 trillion. Uh, these guys hold about, what, 5% of our debt? But anyway… Um, somebody could do the calculation. I mean, I don't know if that's accurate. But anyway, it says China owns a trillion dollars or holds a trillion dollars of our debt. So waiving that would be a good solid step. And I just want to bring this up real quick while I'm thinking about it. Is that number sounds immense, 1.0 trillion? But I know there's a lot of people in the past. I'm glad to have that number, especially in uh, comparison with what our actual debt is. Uh, because I've had a lot of folks, you know, people saying, you know, and this is for good or ill, is that, well, China would never get at war with us because they hold so much debt. It would cost them money. Glad we're not as in debt because people were freaking out like, oh, my gosh, what if China calls our debt? What if China calls our debt? We'd be so screwed. Well, not really. I, I mean, I, I don't think – I mean, seeing those numbers, I, I really don't think so. But on the flip side, that's also not enough money. Now I know one point. Eight trillion, $1.08 trillion sounds like a, a, a ton to us, but when we talk about government spending, it's, it's really – I hate to say it, it's really not. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I could see China giving up a trillion dollars if they would ever get a war with us. But again, as, uh, you know, as pointed out by our guest tonight, by Hector, is you know, because of you know, our, our nuclear arsenal, I mean, I don't really ever see that that being a, a, you know, a feasible – at least militarily a feasible thing for China. Um, now, of course, one of the things we talk about is – and he mentioned this many times, and I'll get back to the article, but I, I want to bring this up when I'm thinking about it. Is remember, he mentioned many times that China is really increasing our, their space program for – and my jury's still out on China, especially after the conversations I have with, with Hector. But let's say that you – know, you know, trust but verify or on the side of caution. Let's say they are you know, wanting to be the hegemonic power of the world. I mean, it's impar that makes it even more imperative that we either, A, work with them and have space programs we work together with, or B, develop our own. And when we're spending all this money on infrastructure, spend the money to increase our space program to be at least in parity with China's space, as history shows. You know, the, 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 the nation with the technology is a nation that, you know, you know, let's be honest, has the power. You had, you know, just look at how you know the evolution of weaponry, and you know, and, and how that affected war, and, and who became the powers, the dominant powers of, of the planet. And so, definitely, if they if they get the technological power to weaponize space, and if we're behind the eight ball on that, that's very dangerous. Because here's the thing: even if we do have, you know, a, a, a much stronger nuclear arsenal, if they're able to affect systems that can make those um, those systems, you know, I don't, I'm not saying obsolete, 
but a moot point, I mean, there's a better term than that, but that's the first one, then, again, it's not just for exploration, which I think is even very important, uh, just for the return on investment that can come from that, but also militarily, that's why I think the Space Force is so important, and we really need to fully fund the Space Force and really need to fully fund the uh, the Artemis program. But anyway, back to the uh, the article. It says, China owns a trillion dollars uh, or holds a trillion – okay. Um, a trillion of our debt, so waiving that would be a good, solid step, said Blackburn, a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee. Interesting coming from that committee. It said that she spoke with many activists in China who believe that the Communist Party was fully aware that they had an outbreak on their hands and hit that for 51 days. The Tennessee Republican and member of the Senate Judiciary Committee also said the Chinese government was, quote, slow to turn over a virus sample to the U.S. government so we can start doing testing and begin working on vaccines for COVID-19, the disease that coronavirus created uh, and those infected. Now, there's an audio clip here. I'm not going to play it here, uh, but it is something if you want to listen to it. Again, you can go to www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com, go to the newsroom page. Uh, and you can find the article there, and then you can play it. <laughs> anyway, it says there was an in- excuse me. It says there was an ingredient that we needed for research on a possible vaccine, and China said we might not give that to you. So these are all the things that point to their awareness that they were going to was inappropriate. She said. Blackburn acknowledged that her proposal to have China forgive U.S. deaths if passed would still require action from the Treasury Department. We haven't talked through exactly what that way forward would be, she said, but we do know that there are more people that agree that China should be required to make some form of restitution for this. She said that the, quote, first concrete action Congress should take against China is passing her Senate Resolution 553, and there's a link for that resolution there in the article, which would, conde- quote, condemn China's government for hiding information, coronavirus, and not being, quote, transparent in their dealings when they try to blame it on the U.S. military, end quote. Blackburn also is sponsoring a bipartisan legislation that calls for the return of, quote, all active pharmaceutical agreements, which are the building blocks of prescription drugs to the U.S., so that they're never caught in the position of not being able to get something we need or in order to protect our people, our country, which I agree with that. We need to be making stuff here. I'm not saying we don't trade with China. You know, I think trading's good because it's, a, it's mutual protective for both, which is in the interest of peace, in my opinion. And it says, and back to the article, it says, according to the Securing America Medical Cabinet Act, only 28% of facilities producing active pharmaceutical ingredients are in the United States. And the number of Chinese facilities has more than doubled since 2010. Hmm, who was in office in 2010? Uh, and it was for six years after that, for six years. Uh, the language in the bill also um, – sorry, the language in the bill states that it seeks to, quote, encourage pharmaceutical drug manufacturers to spur innovations similar – it scrolled up automatically on me. I'm sorry about that. Twi- uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know what? That was weird. That actually switched to a different article. That is funny. Well, that happens in live radio, right, folks? <laughs> But anyway, um, I'm just done with this. It says, yeah, the language – come on. Why is it – did it again? Oh, that's uh, NSA Bob. NSA Bob hasn't been here for a while, but there he is. Yeah. Let's see if I can finish. It's one, it's, it's one uh, paragraph. The language 
in the bill states that it seeks to encourage pharmaceutical drug manufacturers to spur innovations similar to those in other industries such as automotive, aerospace, and semiconductors and bring drug manufacturing back to the United States where ingredients and processes can be more easily verified. And, hmm, maybe that would be a good use of that $1.08 trillion is to build the facilities, build the infrastructure, build the, uh, the factories to make those drugs. So we only got about 20 minutes before we got to start closing things out, maybe a little bit more. So I want to do a roundtable on everything. Gosh, again, this is one of those things I wish we could have had a four-hour show. So I had definitely had more I wanted to talk about tonight. But, hey, it was great to have um, – the conversation that, that we've been having. So we're going to do our roundtable here. And first, that, the, so that what that means is first we're going to have uh, go back to Joseph. Thank you very much, Joseph, for uh, for still being on with us. And then Kelly, and then Suzette, and then Mike. And then we'll rule things back around, see how much time is left to see if we have to do closing comments um, or if we have more time to, to cover some of the other things I was wanting to at least touch on tonight. Go ahead, Joseph. Thank you. Thank you. So... I I mean this with no disrespect whatsoever. Um, I highly, highly respect everyone who comes on this show and contributes. Suzette, Kelly, uh, Mike, Dr. Tolbert. And um, I think what I was stating to uh, Hector, uh, I don't think it was and if it's one thing I've been consistent with since this pandemic has started, as I said, the real root to why everything is not going the way it should be, to why our economy had to be shut down, is a failure in our political system and a massive failure in our leadership. What I was trying to state to Hector, because at this point, this is not a contest. I'm not here trying to make a debate. You know what? I have other things to worry about. I, I don't have the time for that. I wish I had the luxury of time. I wish this was months ago when, when that was a luxury. You have 16.8 million Americans that are so far, far filed for unemployment, estimated to be 20 million more Americans by the end of the month. There are numbers out there that prove that China knew this virus existed and hid the actual numbers. Fine. That's what they did. I in no way, shape, or form am blaming them for our political failure and our political system and our, and our failure of leadership here. Of course not. I'm just simply trying to connect the dots. And as I was stating before, that's why I emphasize when this is all said and done, when we overcome this, then we'll get back to holding accountable who we need to hold accountable globally-wise, if that's China. But at this point, and I think you will agree with me, Robert, and I'm in no way, shape, or form invoking that to, to pitch you against anyone because you know me better than that. I love you all on this show. I think this, this show is, is, is a fantastic show because it allows – each person to come on and, 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 and have a voice and be heard and hope that other people are listening and hope that it strikes a chord. And so in all respect, I'm just going to say I'm going to agree to disagree with everyone on the show because I'm not, I'm not going to make this show about who's right 
and who's wrong. But I am going to call it down the line as I see it and as a lot of people on social media, a lot of people that I know, the hundred, over 100 protesters who demonstrated in North Carolina yesterday, over 100 people who demonstrated um, uh, yesterday in, um, if I'm correct with that one. I may be incorrect on that state. I may need a clarification on that. Michigan, we, Michigan. Michigan, Michigan. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. Michigan, my apologies. So um, you, you have people already, thank you, Mike, coming out in the streets and saying enough is enough. You can't, you, you can't continue to shut down our economy. And so at the end of the day, yeah, you know, we, 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 we could have shows and we can talk about, you know, uh, the amount of people who was uplifted in poverty in, in, in Mongolia or, or what we should do with our infrastructure. Yeah, we, we, we can have all the debates on that. But guess what, guys? If our economy collapses, we won't even have phones to talk to. We will cease to exist. And I don't know how much I can, I, 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 I can do to say that with a sense of urgency. And if we collapse, global economy collapse, we're done. Forget about even having a show to talk on. Forget about even having cell phones. That's the end of the world as we know it. It's, it's just a ticking time bomb. And many people who don't even know a thing about politics at least can see that that is a possibility because they're feeling the hurt. You have millions of people right now that have eviction notices, foreclosure notices. And the problem is failed leadership. Never in the history of our country have we had a major issue that has stalled and, and affected our country in the way that it has ever been politicized. That's unprecedented. Uh, today, the mayor of L.A. says he doesn't expect to reopen the economy of Los Angeles until next year. Dumb. Time. You're just going to destroy exactly. the date so while he's right going. Now, exactly. It, it's absurd. So, to be honest with you, and I think all of my colleagues in this show will at least agree with me on this. Yeah, we can have a debate of where it started and what should be done. But really, if we do not eliminate the number one enemy that is going to deter us from reaching any of those goals, then we're done. And that is our political system. That is who's standing in our way right now as we speak from not even being able to go to a church and pray to not even be able to work. That is what is stopping us right now. We have never in the history of our country had a major, major conflict that has harmed our country like it has ever been politicized. That's the first. And this is a wake-up call because we, the American people, I will give President Trump the benefit of the doubt. April 30th, that is your day to make the decision. But mark my words, and I've heard this from many people that I know and on social media and many people share the sentiment across the country. If we do not reopen our country by April 30th, there will be blood in the streets. We will have no economy left. There'll be no more food banks. People will be rioting, breaking into stores and supermarkets. There'll be anarchy. We must eliminate that enemy before we can even get to step D. 
And if we can't even acknowledge that that is our enemy, I don't know what world we're living in. <laughs> because millions of people are waking up, people who've never even been involved in politics are waking up because you know why? The most powerful pain of all, oh, that hurts. When you take away the four best, the, the, the basic necessities of shelter, clothing, food, medicine, you're left with nothing. And so right now my main focus is what's going to happen on April 30th. And if not, you know what? There's going to be hell to pay. And I'm not sitting on the sidelines. Millions of people right now are hurt. And the last thing, in my opinion, and it's just my opinion, is, yes, we're a country of many faults, but is that the message that we want to give to the millions of people who've been affected for, for no fault of their own? Basically, we're paying for the sins of failed leadership. Is that what we want to hear? We need unity, guys. That is why, that is one of the major roadblocks in our political system. We don't have unity. And when we don't have unity, it has proven in this pandemic that it can play a dangerous hand. And it has done that. And Robert has agreed with that throughout this whole pandemic. It has played a dangerous hand and a detriment to this country at the expense of the American people. And trust me when I tell you, they will be held accountable. And if we go past April 30th, it will not be done peacefully. And we will cease to exist as a country. And then you can throw out all the debates and all of the origins, and you can throw everything out the window because everything that we see and know will cease to exist. And no, I'm not saying this to scare people unnecessarily. I'm saying it to, in the hopes of the listeners who are listening on the station. Because I know my colleagues on the show understand the sense of urgency. I know the panelists on this show understand that. I'm, I'm reaching out to anyone that's listening right now. For the love of God, wake up, if not for yourself, for your loved ones. Wake up and realize that it's time to put away the R and the D and start holding our leaders accountable, not based on their political party, but based on their actions. And if anyone starts saying past April 30th in regions that are not hotspots, oh, we still don't want to open the economy, then that's where we must take action, if need be. Now, I agree that the epicenters, that's different. We've got to treat it differently. And reopening the country should not be a one-size-fits-all. It can't be. It's impossible because our numbers in Hawaii are nowhere near to our numbers of COVID cases or deaths in New York. However... We cannot do a one-size-fits-all. And some of our leaders, that's what they want. But we, the American people, we can't allow it to happen. You know, Robert, for decades, so many of us have been on the sidelines, but we've been too silent. We let so many things pass by, continuing to be silent, silent anymore, past April 30th. Because for the first time, we are facing a modern-day Great Depression of enormous magnitude of something that will make the original Depression look like a walk in the park. It will make it look like nothing. So please, I urge listeners, for the love of God, for the love of your children and your loved ones, put politics aside. 
and let's start holding our leaders accountable for their actions, not because of their political ideology or not because of what party they belong to, but hold them accountable by their actions. And us as American people, if we need to rise up to the occasion, then we do what we have to do. But I'll leave you with one more thing, Robert, and I, and I won't have time for closing comments. I won't say any closing comments because it wouldn't be fair because it, it wouldn't give other people the time. So this will be my closing comments. Ladies and gentlemen, when parents see that their kids are hungry and there's no milk or no diapers and their house that they've been paying mortgages on responsibly for 20 years are about to foreclose and they no longer have medical insurance or access to get medical treatment, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think they're just going to go write a letter to their politicians and nicely ask, can you reopen our economy? you think they're going to peacefully protest as they've done in Michigan and North Carolina? No, at that point it's called self-preservation, survival of the fittest. They will be going with pitchforks and bottles with gasoline in them, and it will not be peaceful and they'll be carnage. And I pray, and I pray that our leaders will do everything in their power to prevent that. Because they do that, and it is the end of our society as well. Suzette, Kelly, Mike, Robert, it is a pleasure. It always has been, and it's people like you that give me hope. I wish there were more like you, and I'm proud to have you and to know you and to have you as panelists, and the show is proud to have you. And I think Robert could also add to that, and I'm proud to be part of this show. And I only truly want what's best. That's all I care about at this point. That's all I want is what's best. And right now what's best is to stop the suffering. So many people are hurting. Right now some people have lost what they will never get back. For the love of God, prevent anyone else from losing something that they can never get back. Let's stop that. And uh, God bless you all. And stay safe in these troubled times. Well, certainly, yeah, it's, it's mutual. The sentiment is uh, certainly mutual. And, uh, and I've been saying this for a long time, even before uh, this, whole COVID, uh, this whole COVID virus thing, is that things got to change or people are, are going you know, are, are to be – you know, ending up in the streets, hopefully peacefully, but I haven't seen it. I've been saying for a long time that this country is headed towards a civil war, and, and maybe not as bloody as the first one, but who knows. Um, but I've been saying that for a while, and, and this is even before, again, you know, the, uh, this, this COVID-19 thing. Uh, now, I'm, I'm a little more optimistic. Uh, I, now, I do think that Unfortunately, there are enough people out there who have, you know, are in the echo chamber of the alphabet media in which they're just going to believe everything that they hear on, you know, MSNBC, CNN, and all the ABC, CBS, you know, those type of stations. That's why I call them the alphabet media. Uh, And so – and they're all the same. They just mimic even to the same words and phrases of each other. And unfortunately, we still have a lot of people out there to adhere just to that and what they have to say. And because there are so many people out there with Trump derangement syndrome, I don't know if we'll get 100% with what you're talking about. Now, that being said, 
I do feel optimistic that Trump's got something planned. I think he's going to open up, and he's going to put the onus on the states. He's going to open up the economy, put the onus on the states, and I think it is going to be a slower. Like I think where it's it's not as hit like Kentucky and you know other states, you know that I think are going to be open up more. And he, he probably is going to leave it up to governors, but he's going to strongly suggest we do that. So I think it's going to be state by state. My concern is is I, I do think it's going to open up. I think it's going to be by the end of this month. My, my concern is it's not that we're going to have a big rebound of coronavirus and a ton of deaths if we open up. That's not my concern. My concern is there's a lot of these economic hubs, such as in California, such as in New York, are the places that are going to open up somewhat more slowly. So my concern is as if those, those hubs of uh, – of the economy, if they open up slowly, how is that going to affect the overall uh, recovery? Uh, no, I do. I mean, uh, reminder, you know, I, do I think we're going to go into the next Great Depression? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, I know there's some people saying, "Look, we're we're, we're headed that way," um, and if we are, it's going to be something that's just going to be a, a, an utter and sudden crash that is going to be, frankly, I think it's take people by surprise uh, if that happens. Um, and then, I mean, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to scare anybody, but maybe that's why some gun places, if someone's got some background noise, you can use your mic. Um, I appreciate it. It's like a, yeah, someone's got that kind of noise. Please mute your mic if you know if that's you. Um, I don't want to have to mute them. Uh, but anyway, so that's, you know, that's why people, you know, may, you know maybe that's why they had gun shops shut, shut down, but. I mean, there's still plenty of people out there with, with, with weapons to protect their country, you know, from the citizen, you know, the citizen protecting our country is what I meant. Uh, but, I mean, I do. I mean, I feel, you know, I feel that, you know, we, uh, the Trump's going to say, look, you know, and then and even Fauci. I mean, even Fauci seems to be coming along a little bit. I mean, remember, he's like all oh, 18 months, but, but even Fauci's starting to come around a little bit, not much. Uh, but then Trump's going to say, look, you know, you guys want to make sure that, you know, um, uh, you know this thing's wiped out, but we we have to, as you said, we have to survive. And unfortunately, we're gonna, you know. And I'm not one to sound callous, and I'd hate for it to be any of my family, you know. But I mean, what can we do? One of my mottos is always, "You can't live in fear." I know it's in, in these times, it's it's hard not to. Uh, but I do. I mean, I think I think we're gonna slowly start to open some things up. Um, Again, it's not going to happen in the in the places that are maybe considered the epicenter, like New York. But I think a, a, a lot of part of the and if you go to the, and if you go by the percentages, you know of, of how many we talked about this a, a long time ago when this first started. You know, I mean, I think they said maybe about point two, uh, two thousandths of a percent of the world's population. You know, uh, I don't even know if they passed or passed away from this. I think. You know, two thousandths of the percent of the people got the virus, or something like that. And so, I mean, we're talking about, you know, 340 million in the United States, and how many people passed? I mean, no, no. Again, I mean, I'm trying to sound callous. Every death, and I know if I personally knew anybody, which, frankly and, and luckily, I haven't. I uh, don't know personally anyone who either has it or, you know, passed over it or anything of that nature. And so, um, you know, so it's terrible. I know they want to be cautious, but. Well, we can't. I, I I agree with you on, on those points. Is I think people are gonna instead of holding signs up and, and so on the streets, you know, if you got 10% of the population of the working population unemployed, 
that's a hell of a lot of people out in the streets, uh, you know, and they may not be so peaceful, and, and that's just going to cause things. Uh, here, here's the thing. Is, as I understand the people's consternation who would actually go out and do that, I believe it. But it's just, I, I think that that – I think they should I, – I, no, two things. One, I think they should go out into the streets. I think they should do it tomorrow. I think everyone who's not working should get everybody and go out and protest tomorrow. Everybody who's gotten laid off, everyone who's not working right now and has a collect unemployment, I think they need to make signs and go to, the, go to their, their city capital and meet. Well, I guess they can't because of, that's the thing. We can't even meet because then they'll be throw. But they, they can't arrest everybody, right? I'm not, you know, I'm not saying all oh, civil discipline. Well, maybe I am a little bit. I don't know. But seriously, you're right. And I know I'm taking a lot of time here, folks, and I apologize for that. And you guys know I don't usually hog the mic uh, that much. <laughs> On occasions I do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to take that. I think people can say, look. Yeah, I know we're not supposed to be standing six feet to each other. Fine, everyone who goes out, if you have a mask, make one, put one on, you know, do something so that you're wearing gloves and you're wearing masks, and somehow how you can get, you know, millions of people out in the streets with and, and be social distancing. But yeah, here's what I here's what I suggest, and this goes out to the nation. Here's what I suggest: wait, you know, don't wait long. Wait to see, because Trump even said yet today that something big. He's going to make a big announcement tomorrow. Let's wait to see what that announcement is. If they're not saying they're going to open up the, the country, at least start to, and the next, I think that you know, wear your PPE, wear your masks, wear your gloves. I don't know how you're going to do social distancing with millions of people in the street. Make your signs. Home depots are still open. Stores are still open. If you can make a sign or if you know someone who's still working and they can give you money to make they buy the supplies, if you can't do it to make a sign, do it. Get out in the street. Show the, pe- show the people, look, this is your constituents out here. You know, we, we, we need to work. We want to work. We want to get this. And we're Americans, and uh, – I know I'm, I'm almost hard to say that, you know, we'll take the risks, right? Because um, it's hard to say because, I mean, if you do have some, a family member who's susceptible to it, then you want to be more careful. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, so, something's going to have to give. And then um, – Can I say something quick? Yeah, yeah go ahead, go ahead, Mike. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step off yeah, my – Yeah, or Suzette wants to go first. Uh, she's your co-host uh, as a respect to the ladies uh, in the world. If Suzette wants to go, please go ahead first, and then I go after you, please. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you very much. Go ahead, Suzette. Uh, I just wanted to ask if I may add to what you were saying. Robert, Robert. Yeah. Uh, when did Mike from Singapore get to take over your show? <laughs> <laughs> when did Mike get to take Well, you, I, 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 mean, I can't. You, I, I, you didn't have an order set up. You didn't have an order set up, so. I did, I did, but you know what? He 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 got me with the the ladies first clause. Darn it! Now how? Now now Kelly, how can we go against that? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, gentlemen. You're also gentlemen. Yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, let's. For we want to give everybody with those closing comments. Let's. Um, yeah, we'll make it real quick uh, well, this, to that again. I'm, I'm, to the I'm, ladies. I'm, and I'm then okay. I'm gonna bring. And then I'm gonna bring it to I'm Kelly. Okay, and I'll bring it to Kelly. I'm, I'm okay with Suzette going first, but then not Mike. He's budging that way. Sure, ladies. Uh, I got you. <laughs> Go ahead, Suzette. No, we'll keep the line. You're, you guys are right. Go ahead. 
Um, I, I'm with you guys as far as hoping that announcement will be, you know, a, an announcement that will open up businesses again in a responsible way, of course. Um, and he said he put a team together. I know Mark Cuban is part of that team. He's got some other financial minds on it. And it's not a matter of having billionaires on there. It's a matter of this is what these guys do for a living. And they solve problems to keep business going. So I think that's a good start. I also think that because of the way things are, you have small businesses that put that money that they normally use to buy stuff to, to sell on their shelves, um, you know, towards living uh, during this time and playing and paying their employees. And yes, they may get that business loan, but that's, you know, going to get swallowed up really quick. So it is going to be slow. Um, and, and I think if we get that announcement and we start moving the economy where people are getting back to work, um, I would just ask my fellow human beings to just be a little bit more patient as these things start to open up. But if there is not an announcement, then yes, I'm on board. Take your signs out and go let them know we want to work. We're not sick. We'll be responsible. We don't want people to die. Um, that's not our goal, but we need to survive ourselves. We don't want to die. <laughs> so that's my closing comment. Thank you. And thank you, Mike. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kelly. Um, yeah, I wanted to respond to Joseph. Um, but yeah, it was, it's Robert's show, and I figured I would honor and follow Robert's lead in having uh, his guest on. But uh, there's some valid points about we got to open the country up. We really do. We're starting to see some early frustrations. Ohio, North Carolina, um, another state, too. And there's hints of false reporting of corona, but anyway, I don't have time for that. Something is odd. Um, New York uh, cases per million versus California cases per million. And maybe, Joseph, this is, can give you some hope. Maybe in Hawaii. New York population is 19.4 million uh, confirmed Corona cases that are reported 149,316. This is from the CDC website of either Thursday or Friday of last week. California population 39.5 million. That's uh, 16,957 cases. The state actually was reporting more. Their Department of Health. But again, CDC numbers. What we're going to compare to. You divide these out uh, cases per million, and you compare them, and the ratio between New York to California is 18 times more than California. Uh, that's really interesting. There's a whole bunch of factors. I don't have time. But one doctor is postulating that Corona was here. Disneyland, the Chinese coming here. Others visiting trade, whatever, L.A. ports. Um, postulating we already have herd immunity. And, this, and the first case was November 17th. We heard... Uh, they knew about it for 51 days prior to reporting, which would, uh, might put us back into August. Disneyland, lots of people. Um, California might have a herd immunity. I don't know. So that's really interesting. But, yeah, um, there's a St. Louis doctor, I, Pluta, if I can remember his name right. He had a video that went viral. Basically, he's frustrated at the misreporting and then the news exaggerating and creating fear. My sister's a nurse. I asked her about some things. But she's very frustrated with the media. Scare, 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 fear, fear, fear. Um, I hope our lives can get back to normal, but I, I agree with Joseph. We got we we really should find a way um, to reopen the country as soon as humanly possible. California ordered like 100 million masks or something like that. Um, that'd be what, three per person? We can go through this pretty quick, actually, but... But yeah, we, we got to open up the country. We got to get businesses going. 
We cannot sustain this. It's like a homeless guy I helped lately. He called me more. I said, look, I told you, I can't sustain this. I can't help you. <laughs> so, I'll turn it over to Mike here. Hold, hold on, Mike. Let Kelly finish. Sorry. Yeah, yeah there's so, two minutes left. Two minutes left. No, go ahead. I know a few minutes. Go, go ahead, Kelly. I want let him finish up, and then we'll, we'll get you, Mike. We got it. Yeah, you're right. A couple minutes. Go ahead. Yeah, so there's some other things I, I'm going to hold back till next week. But basically, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with Joseph there. Let's open up the country. And back to you, Robert. No, go ahead. And I, I won't close things down as I usually do. We'll get, take it to the end. So go ahead, Mike. Yes, sir. My, uh, everything Josh uh, said, you know, pretty much he covered it in every angle. And Suzette so said patience we should have. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, we cannot just to go back from uh, zero to 100, you know, like that. So it takes a process, and we have to have really patient. And right now, uh, two Democratic, um, you know, representatives, House of Representatives, uh, Rohana, and Tim Ryan of Ohio um, basically say emergency money for the people act would provide more relief to the worker face pay cuts, layoffs, and uh, pandemic economic effect. They are asking for everybody to get $2,000 a month for uh, un- uh, people who make less than 130000 uh a year until employment reaches pre-coronavirus levels. So, and also we have to learn from Germany. Germany opened up a certain area, but only one shop, shop uh, that has 800 meter uh, uh, range, that's it. And phase one, phase two, phase three. And yet China, when it opened up right now, uh, some part of it, they have hit with the phase two of the coronavirus, which is harder than the first one. So we have to be uh, uh, I mean, uh, technical. We cannot, uh, I know people are tired. Physical, okay, we got, thir- we got 30 um, uh, seconds. Wrap physical it up. stress, Go ahead. emotional stress, uh, financial stress, and et cetera. Yes, we understand it, but patient should be first uh, to be given. And then whatever Josh said, that's very well maybe possible. It may, may come sooner than later. Go ahead, please. Okay. Thank you, Josh. And soon, so thank you, everybody. It's going to close in about four seconds. So good night. Be safe. And we'll see you.